All right, we're live. What's up, fellas? What's up, sir? What's up? Great to see you all again. Pleasure. Pleasure to be here. So, um, Hoddle, the thing that's coming directly to my mind is uh, I just saw a tweet while I was having a clean myself up right before this, uh, this podcast. And it was Trump talking about BLM and uh, Dude, you know, emphatic that he's getting your vote I this year. I fucking love that. I love what he said. I love every bit of it. Fucking he's calling out for what it is. He's not going to let them play the bullshit games. Like now, if you're a democratic Senator, you have to deal with the charge of Marxism. You can't hide behind it. What I love, like, listen, I, you know, I didn't vote for Trump in 16. And I wouldn't have voted this election cycle until I saw just fucking mobs of people and an entire media organ, you know, establishment, every media organization covering for the riots. It's the most insane thing I've ever seen in my entire fucking life. And if Trump is the hand grenade that we can throw into that system to blow it up, then yeah, I'm emphatically team Trump. You know what I mean? Yeah, I totally do. And I'm, I'm pretty much in the same boat. I mean, I, I think I felt, the way many people felt about him when he came in. But, um, and I, I've probably always would characterize myself as kind of like a liberal left leaning on, on a lot of issues, but uh, I, yeah, I think what, what's too. going on today has just pushed, I think everybody, or the, maybe the left has spectrum has gone so much beyond and people have kind of stood still and they've just wound up on kind of on the, on the writer side of the political spectrum. And Trump, it just seems to be saying a lot of the right things to that, group these days dude this cultural marxism that we're experiencing in society right now is uh i didn't think it would happen in america and it's shocking to be honest and i you know a lot of the time i feel like the lone crazy person who's hanging on to the american values and ideals that we held sacred just five years ago yeah <laughs> right yeah. And, and i'm seen as some sort of a bad person i'm a racist now for believing that we should judge people by the content of their character i'm a misogynist for believing that men and women are separate but equal. Fuck yourself. I'm none of those things. <laughs> you know, like, what, what happened between the 2015 and now? Like what? Proliferation of, oh yeah, I think proliferation of social media networks, you know, echo bubbles. I think that's the main thing. And then, you know, obviously the money doesn't work for anybody. That's the big thing. I mean, we all know that, right? So it's like everybody's getting poorer and they're getting confused about what they're really upset about. And, you know, they think it's about race or something. It's not about fucking race. The majority of Americans are not racist. There are racists in America. And most of us rightfully despise those people, right? But like the thing people are taking to the streets over is they're getting fucked. They know it. They just don't exactly know how it's happening to them. Yeah, I mean, the, the social media thing is fascinating. What, what do you think, Robert? Well, I was just going to say that it seems like powers that be or media, whatever you want to call them, basically they rely on these false narratives to get people focused and distracted on these surface level phenomena without looking at the root cause, right? Like what, you never hear the politicians talk about the money. No one ever talks about central banking. Um, and I, I don't know, I guess it's, it seems like a radical thought today that the, the nature and the character of our money could influence our social fabric and morality so much, but I think it, I think it's true. Like the close, more closely I've studied it. Um, 
it makes sense that we're having Marxist symptoms at the surface when we have a Marxist institution at the heart of our economy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I sometimes think of it in terms of, you know, like money is this fundamental organizing mechanism. And I, you know, the, the less that works, the more you have to rely on social coordination for all the functions of, you know, society that you, that, that we desire. And I think everything's being pushed up to the social layer because the money is failing. And of course, if everything is pushed up there, you're going to get all this conflict and fracturing and, and partisanship and all that kind of stuff, because that's how you, that's how you get yours when you're in that situation, right? You don't have to worry about getting yours when the money does all the getting for you, you get the money and that's, you know, that's, that's all you need to focus on. But now as that breaks down, it just seems like everything becomes socially contentious. And, you know, I think we're seeing the results of that now and social media certainly doesn't, doesn't help. Listen, I I fucking hate postmodernism as an ideology. I think, I think it's, atrocious uh you know for liberty for the human spirit for everything but have to give it to them they're sort of right is that once it became fiat currency you know after 1971 it all became power games and the 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 thing that everybody has wrong is they they've correctly honed in on the fact that it's all one big power game and your job is to get your group or your sect or your tribe closer to the fed window you know so that you can benefit from the power game right but nobody is questioning the game itself and, you know, flipping the fucking board over, which is what needs to happen for prosperity for everybody. Because, you know, retributive, like, I understand your group didn't get a shot at the money spigot and that sucks, but making, you know, doing retributive violence against the group that you feel perpetrated that against you is just eye for an eye, you know, makes the whole world blind. Mm -hmm. It's, it's classic parable stuff. Yeah. I was going to say another way just to think about this too in my mind is if if money is this medium by which we express our preferences, right? It's we, we value voting in Western democracy, but I actually think voting's bullshit in a lot of ways. Like how you actually vote is how you spend your money. All right. That's what gets done. That's what reshapes supply and demand structures. And so I, I kind of envision it. If the money is not adequately expressing your preferences, people, even if they don't cognitively get it, they get pissed off, right? And they get louder and more, more um, boisterous about their, their problems. And I think that drives polarization in society, right? The right's not feeling like its preferences are expressed. The left feels the same. So they just get further and further apart. Yeah. Yeah. And so back to the, the point about Trump, like, and Eric, we talked about this when we, when we last spoke, and I've waffled back and forth on it because you were kind of saying we were talking about like, will Bitcoiners become political, like when they're more well capitalized instead of just, you know, getting out of Dodge, actually being engaged in some form of process to try to mitigate the damage of, of a, like whatever transition takes place. And you were like, you know, there's no glory and just kind of, you know, piecing out. And I go back and forth because, you know, piecing out is easy. And why fucking be a part of the mess? Right. Like just get out, carve out your own little paradise and wait for the dust to settle. Uh, but, you know, other times I'm like, no, I, you know, I think maybe we should try to make it so that it's not such a disastrous transition whenever, you know, as it happens. And I, you know, and the reason, the reason why I'm framing it this way is because Hoddle, we were talking about like never, we didn't vote for Trump or you didn't vote for Trump. I wasn't a supporter, you know, when he came to power, but in the context of just trying to mitigate the damage 
as we move toward whatever's coming next, you know, he certainly seems to be at least the, the candidate and a part of the party that's attempt. And I know a lot of people have a real big problem with this statement, but attempting to preserve a lot of the ideals that we probably would agree are worth preserving. Do you know, yeah. know what I'm saying? Well, and also, you know, this idea that like voting doesn't matter. That's true. It is manufactured consent, like Chomsky talks about. <laughs> but they don't fucking want Trump. He wasn't part of their manufactured plan. So it's kind of great to see him fuck up the establishment in that manner. And like, and that's a you huge can see that. Well, yeah, and everything's on fire because of that. <laughs> I mean, they, they really hate having Trump in there. But it's almost, it's almost, sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, like, I, I think one of the great problems, like what, what Robert was saying before, is that, like, all of these differences they have us fighting each other about and separating about, uh, like, it's all manufactured, you know, like, at, the, at yeah. the root, like, we all have, like, pretty deeply instilled uh, what we would call, quote, unquote, like, American values that we share. And if we really discuss them deeply, like, we would probably get to the root of, like, oh, like, the money is super fucked. And it turns out that, like, these 500 assholes that comprise of the federal government are using it to like rob us blind and make their families and all their friends wealthy at our costs. And maybe if we did, re you know, reform money in some kind of meaningful way, it could change it. But like the whole, the whole stack of cards comes down, you know, and it's like Robert was saying, I very much believe that like I, I stopped voting in like 2012 kind of when I came across Bitcoin, cause I had this epiphany that I realized you know, where we spend our dollars matters so much more in conjunction with the fact that, that like, can you become a billionaire in the United States today with like not, with not being agreeable to their system in some way? Cause like, it doesn't seem plausible to me outside of crypto. Eric, let me, let me ask you a question. Do you get the same reaction that I get when I talk to people about this at parties or bars or whatever, and you tell them that it's the money and they all just go, it's too simple. They don't well, want to believe you. I'm a nerd, so I don't. I don't. I haven't been going out. Anymore. I'm just dadding a whole <laughs> lot. Uh, but like when I do talk with people like this, you know, like I'm in a little liberal bubble. I'm like they're they're really terrified of this idea. You know, I'm not like I'm. I'm trying to tell them like, look, like your your side isn't any better than Trump. You're you're just yeah. doing it in a different way and form. And they get really upset and offended. And then when they're like, but you must vote for Biden. I'm like, I wouldn't vote for that sleepy zombie if they were going to pay me money to do it nor am I going to vote for the other guy. Like, I'm going to tell you voting is useless. And I want you to really like accept for the fact that like your vote's not going to change anything. It, it, it's the little trinket that you're given to feel like this is an actual democratic process that you get a say in. But this is kind yeah, of my, this is kind of the that. point of the question, Eric, like, do you, like, if, if you could pick, like, do you think things will slide faster under, let's say, Biden versus Trump. And therefore, if the answer is yes, if there's any preference at all, is there a benefit in trying to bring about a certain outcome, i.e., you know, a Trump presidency? Uh, I don't like I particularly don't think so. Like, I think uh, like I think the cards are pretty well set up for like, yeah. like bad shit's going to go down over the next four years, whether it's Biden, whether it's Trump. Uh, like Ruth's death was like perfectly on time to like make this clusterfuck way more volatile. Uh, you know, and, and like, it's scary, but at the same time, like there's this really radical opportunity for stuff to have, to like really change, like in a large and powerful way. 
if that if that means like really scary crazy shit like sort of what we're seeing now amped up a whole bunch you know i'm i'm not saying that's necessarily worth it but i'm at least excited that uh like we're not we're not seeing like a rehashing of like 2008 or something like stuff's different now how so uh, just in terms of the tensions are so much higher and that we're at yeah. these real break points of where uh, like the anonymity between parties and then the extremism that they've been led to. Cause like, uh, like these black lives matters protests, like it, it's pretty amazing the way that it's been co-opted by Vanguard Marxists. Uh, and like, it's well, really, don't you, Eric, don't you think there's a direct parallel that you can tie back to 2008? Because I've thought about this for a while. It's kind of like, um, out of Occupy, there was unity around Occupy and everybody of a certain age was like, this shit is really fucked up, but we all were too young and we didn't know what to do about it and we didn't have enough buy-in. And so some of us got depressed and went nihilistic and that became Antifa. And then some of us got proactive and were like, I'm not gonna let them fuck me out of capitalism. I'm gonna fuck them. And that became the Bitcoin movement. I, that's how I see it anyway. And so I, I kind of think that there was unity and everybody was aligned on the, you know, they knew what the problem was. And now it's just, it's bifurcated where one group has got their own head so far up their own ass. That I don't know if they can be saved, you know? Yeah, you know, I, I uh, to, to be clear, I meant more of 2008 of the, the general two-party system. We're both going to have our candidates. They're going to debate each other. Uh, we're all yeah. going to kind of rally behind it. Like both sides seem to want more extreme answers at this point in time. Uh, I also do think like uh, essentially this sort of solidarity that was developed in Occupy and then splintered. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that sort of happened. And I think the power games and dynamics that are going on right now, like people, people want to self-satisfy themselves with tearing down statues, change, changing pronouns and trying to burn down buildings than to actually address the root problem, which is not just the money, but like the, the rampant corruption in politics, uh, the undue influence of social media, like there's like a whole laundry list of shit that's gone off the rails. And, and I think it all does relate back to the essential corruption of money and like what that's done to us as a society. Rob, I was talking privately with Robert uh, earlier today. And, you know, we were talking about these same sort of issues is like, do you stand and fight? Do you run? How do you deal with the with the coming storm? And Robert said something to me that was terrifying, but also sort of exhilarating, which is that this chaos is going to be just like Bitcoin. It's going to be everywhere and nowhere all at once, you know? And so there is really nowhere to hide. There also is nowhere to fight. You just have to like fucking grit your teeth and get through it, I guess. Yeah, I, I, I think about that a lot. Um... The, this impulse to like quote stay and fight um it seems like the fight is going to be fought in the intellectual digital domain anyways right so it's more about it's kind of like capitalism right you got to protect your stack and then sort of spread your your message um one thing that i think about too that i think what i do like about trump being president is that echoing what, what hoddle said earlier it he doesn't fit the bill of the establishment cookie cutter. Like it's almost as if social media or Twitter is what put Trump in office, right? So he's kind of in a way an expression of software fucking up the rigged game just a little bit. Not to say that he's like a, a great answer by any, 
one eight to rule 300 million is never a good answer, but, uh, yeah. but it's nice to see a guy get in there that wasn't groomed for the position, let's say. Um, and and another thing I was just thinking about the question you asked earlier, like when you ask or when you point towards the money being the root problem, how do people respond? And it seems to me like Keynesians have instilled this intellectual fear in the general populace towards economics. Like people just think it's like fucking rocket science. Like it's impenetrable. You can't, it's just over their head. But then I oh, think yeah. of something, something you said a week ago, Otto, which is Austrian economics is obvious because it is right. It's the true economics. Like we actually learned it in school. Um, I think people would understand or they'd be at least much more likely to be a proponent of the position that of fix the money, fix the world. Totally. When, when you talk, Robert, when you talk about this is going to be fought in the intellectual realm, I think one of the really interesting uh, points to bring up is I was going through, uh, you know, Anatomy of the State by Rothbard, and he's basically always talking about how, you know, the intellectual elites throughout history have always served the interest of the state because it's in their best interest. If you go against the state, you're going to get fucking killed or excommunicated or, you know, terrible mm -hmm. things are going to happen to you. So it's in your interest to apply your brain power to coming up with cover stories and ideologies that suit the interest of the state. Bitcoin is the first time that we, you know, cause everybody in Bitcoin is really smart. They're either really smart or really dumb. Some of them are really fucking dumb. <laughs> there's a lot of really, there's a lot of really smart people in Bitcoin. And I think, you know, partially it's the first time, maybe the first time in the history of the world where individual intellectuals have been able to come together in a global manner and serve their own interests. This is why I think people get upset with maximalists because we only serve ourselves and we are like a sovereign collective and we have our own specific ideologies that only, it's a feedback loop that only serves us. And it's like join or die. We don't give a fuck about yeah. your ideology. We're not here to like placate you. This is right. for us only, right? So we're serving our own interests for maybe the first time in humanity's history and that's fucking exciting, you know? I actually think the Roman Senate was kind of similar to that. Like the property owners got together and like made laws. And then there was a huge group of people where they're yeah. like, all right, like the plebeians, they can just like kind of fucking help us. And the then when they object the severely, they're what'd you say? Plebs. The plebs. Oh, plebs, is it? Plebs. Wouldn't you say that the Roman Senate and, you know, the American Senate, you know, are, were still um, oligarchies? And, and are we an oligarchy? I don't uh, think yeah. we are. I mean, I mean, but maybe we are. You mean the Bitcoiners? Yeah. Our maximalist is that because we're all, we all know each other. We're all collecting power, right? We all have the same ideology. Are we an oligarchy? But it's a freely accessible and exitable right. oligarchy. Is, there's a moat there though, right? You know, that's one of the interesting questions about uh, how this plays out kind of longer term. And I think, You've all probably touched on this a little bit before, but and Safe recently did a Electron Monarchy, which I listened to a little bit. It was interesting because I'd never thought of going back to monarchy as a form of governance in the future. And I'm not saying I do now, but you know, these if the uh, if it turns out that we get something like you know city states all over the world, these sort of citadel ideas, and at you know, and they're more or less businesses. Uh, and they're owned and run by, you know, early Bitcoiners, basically, um, then what are those people? Like, I think that's kind of what you're getting at, Hoddle. Like, what do we call those people? Are they just business owners and you can come and go as you please? Or is it, is it oligarchy or, you know, what do you think that's going to well, turn I've, into? 
I'm just saying that part of our cover story is that we would have never fucking admit that we're an all market, right? Because we can always say, yeah, you can come and go as you please. It's just open market, free market capitalism. Right, right. <laughs> it's like, it's a bit evasive, but you know, you start to think about it and you're like, can't get away from humanity. Humans have natural tendencies to collectivize, et cetera. So these like historic isms just like don't really fit anymore. Cause like, this is such like a crazy psychedelic thing to fucking exist. Like if you went back to like 1980 and you're like, Oh no, there's going to be this like global communication thing. And we'll have like digital money. Yeah. That's like protected by cryptography. They'd be like, you're fucking crazy. Like get out of here. Like, <laughs> like go, go get yourself checked into an insane asylum. And I also think like, that's one of the reasons that like we haven't had uh, like all the intellectual scaffolding built up around this because, or that like, more accurately, it's kind of spread across all of these different disciplines and it hasn't been gathered together really well is because like, this is such a fucking crazy idea across the board. Like we're using, we're literally using computers to ensure that like our money can't be inflated because it turns out that like we're such a criminal bunch of lying assholes that like we've never been able to make fiat money work in all of human history. <laughs> like it's, it's funny shit, you know? It's like putting, you know, it's like we keep putting a monkey in a room with a button that says don't touch, right? <laughs> it's like, you're just going to keep printing that money, you know? It's too powerful. The incentive is too powerful. Yeah. Well, this is one of the, the major uh, concepts that both Eric and Rob have broken into in their writing, which is this incorruptible substance idea. And um, yeah, I mean... I also, I just, I just want to applaud both uh, the masters and slaves of money and, and the Bitcoin and number zero robbery is both really phenomenal uh, essays that, that uh, I think are really important that kind of help establish that, uh, that historic backing that that's really necessary for people to know and understand. I mean, uh, they're just great essays to read, but also just the, the historic wealth and research that you put into it was really, really great. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, Peter McCormick told me last week, he said every time he reads one of my pieces, he felt like he just ate a handful of shrooms. So I think yeah. that's <laughs> the funniest compliment I got yet. But no, I really appreciate that. I, I think Bitcoin is at its core a humanitarian movement. And that's what we have to kind of keep in mind. So. Absolutely. Yeah, I read your writing and know that some of those insights came from shrooms. But uh... <laughs> maybe, it's great I that mean, I don't. I haven't written on shrooms yet, but I've, I've definitely dabbled in the past. So it's great that up. Robert does the legwork that I'm way too lazy to do. Every time I read one of your articles, I'm just like, yep, could have written this if I wasn't super fucking lazy. <laughs> <laughs> you, you have some like weird fucking artistry with memeology and, and tweeting and shit. It's like, uh, it's like Japanese Yato, like the drawing of the blade to like kill people. You can like do exactly. that. It's your kind of poetry, I guess. You just go into a fugue state. Like, it's like berserker mode, you know? You're just like, <laughs> now I'm going to tweet about my dick. Now I'm going to tweet about monetary inflation. Now I'm going to tweet Adam back, you know? I'll have to remember that next time. That I'm... Genius, genius comes in many forms. The, the amount of time it takes to uh, write a tweet is the amount of time you should spend thinking about a tweet. <laughs> That's my Twitter advice. <laughs> um, Excellent. I'll have to keep that in mind. There's been too many times that I like sit here. I'm like, do I pop? No. Get up. And then I never gotta, actually tweet it. Just got to schedule them in advance, guys. Just oh, really? We can advance and then. Is that what I you actually did? think? It, I've started doing that, and you do it early in the morning, so you get a nice curated tweet, and it gets a lot of propagation. 
But the next step for me is going to be deleting Twitter off my phone because yeah. the addictive aspect is the, the scrolling, right? And the I don't know if you refresh. Saw, the yeah, last, the social dilemma yet, but that's yeah. not, not too kind on social media. The last, I, I don't, I've been doing better with Twitter, but um, the last psychedelic trip I had, like one of the, on the come up before things got really hairy, like the, the, those insights that come when you're just kind of like overviewing, you know, the last year or your, your life as it is right now and kind of putting thing in its proper place before you, you know, really blast off into the other dimension. One of them was just how like uh, uncomfortable I was with how much time was spent scrolling on my phone. It was just like clear message to fucking wind that shit back when I, uh, when I came back at, at the end of the night. Dude, even before I uh, watched The Social Dilemma, I had this really unsettling realization, which is our grandparents' primary addiction was cigarettes, which stole time from the end of your life. And our addiction is social media, which steals time from our present, from our young selves. So it's a much more insipid thing. But it's such an effective tool for this movement that we're a part of, right? So like, you you don't want to do away with it entirely, obviously. And it's fun. I mean, like, I wouldn't even know you fuckers if it weren't for social media, you know? And I'm I'm glad I do. So there's certainly a lot to be gained from it. But I guess like anything, you got to, you got to walk that, uh, walk the edge carefully. Moderation. Yeah. Yeah, It's a double-edged sword. You got to have discipline with it. But I definitely, even watching that documentary, I felt my impulse to check my phone probably half a dozen times. And that was a, a little bit of a wake-up call. When, when the CEO of uh, Pinterest is like, they ask him, they go, what are you most worried about? And he goes, civil war. And I was like, fuck, that's the thing I'm worried about too. <laughs> when, did he say, when did he say that? He says that in the document. You know, this was the guy oh, who put in, okay. he, he was head of monetization at Facebook, put in a lot of these things. And then he went to CEO Pinterest and they asked him if he was worried about the world he'd created. And he was like, yeah, the thing I'm worried about in the short to medium term is civil war, you know, fucking frightening. What, what does it mean that like we have these brilliant dudes who are like, like this all feels like a repeat of like building the atomic bomb and then they like watch the thing go off and they're like, oh shit, like this is gonna, like <laughs> fucking kill a bunch of people. Like, oh my bad. <laughs> you know, I'm like, like Oppenheimer clearly regretted that shit, you know, but uh, lo and behold, uh, just think you can't you can't stop it right like it, this shit's gonna happen you, so I, yeah dude when, it's like sticking your uh the, the butter knife in the electrical socket when you're a toddler you just have to do it <laughs> you know <laughs> that, that explains a lot well it's, it's the kinda, same impulse you, you know what elon's doing with with open ai like what he said about his motivation for that was that you know right. ai is going to be this you know really asymmetric powerful weapon and i'd rather it be open source so that it's not exclusively the you know under the control of one entity you know because they might do fucked up shit with it so maybe that's the approach to all of this stuff what's his ai company it's called open ai is it okay he has another the brain interface thing Neuralink too which is like they put a lace mesh cybernetic mesh inside your skull Uh, i don't know if i want that one you know not yet. Did well, you guys? We used to do have these lectures at Coinbase. They're really cool when we were still like a tiny company. And I think in 2014, like in some AI startup that had gotten funding from Elon Musk, like came and talked. And it was funny because like one of the dudes on the support team was like, 
So, like, are you worried that this thing can, like, get out of cage and, like, destroy, like, the world and all this shit? And it was just real funny that, like, the guy was like, oh, you know, like, I haven't really thought much about it. Like, I don't know. Maybe. And it was just, like, like, I'm really concerned that this is the world we exist within. It's, like, a lot of people are just, like, pushing buttons and they don't really, like, think through what's going on. And I'm alarmed that, like, this, this is kind of, like, this is essentially what's going on in politics. Is you have all these dumbasses just doing things because they've been done this way for so long. Instead of this recognition that, like, today is a very different world from the one that we had 20 years ago. And we need to start behaving and acting accordingly. Or, like, shit is not going to go down well. I mean, it's already not going down well. And we can just continue down this pretty terrible path for quite a while. Do you wonder if we're the ones who are actually bootstrapping the AI? You know? I, I've considered it. I, you know, like... I, that too. I mean, I feel pretty fucking ideologically possessed by whatever this code is that's running on the internet. You know what I mean? It's not, a, not a thing I saw happening in my life, right? You talking uh, about Bitcoin? I'm talking about, yeah, Bitcoin being like a Roko's Basilisk type, type deal yeah. where... Bitcoin said, you know, nobody knows who the fuck Satoshi is. We don't know if he's a real fucking person <laughs> or, if, or if it's just a set of fucking instructions. Like, you know, and Satoshi made errors too, but none of them are super egregious. So it's like maybe, he, maybe the AI made just enough errors to give humans ownership over this thing and then take it through to fruition, like thus fulfilling its own grandfather paradox. I'm just saying. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, like I, I, I think that's like a pretty decent possibility and even if like i don't know if we never find out who satoshi is and all the things continue down the pathway like it seems like it's possible you know like i don't want to necessarily say it's, it's rogo's backless per se but like it does seem to be engaging in some pretty incredible and fascinating aspects of human behavior that like we clearly couldn't fucking solve on our own i thought yeah. about this in greece well, a couple of years ago uh, some vacation, you have a lot of time to think, but I actually thought something similar that someone had described life to me as the universe experiencing itself and that all evolution is constantly the universe trying to experience itself at a higher and higher resolution. And that's why we like what we call consciousness or sentience is just, we are the, the apex, at least of the evolutionary uh, sphere that we know. So what if we are indeed just, uh, a stepping stone to an AI that can ex that is the universe experiencing itself in ultra high resolution. I mean, we're the stepping stone for something, right? We're not the end of the process that led to us. So, whether that next step is AI or superhumans or aliens or you know uh, hybrids or whatever, I mean, ten thousand, ten million, ten billion years from now, there'll be something other than us. So we're we're the bootloader for something. Mm. Um, let me ask you this, because this popped up a while back, and um, I think I mentioned it to one of you. The, uh, I'm, I'm fascinated by a couple things around Bitcoin and religion. So I'll set this up this way. One, Bitcoin obviously seems to have, uh, well, one, really ardent and passionate followers, to say the least. Um, it seems to impact people's lives a great deal you know, in terms of changing uh, strongly ingrained behavior and establishing new habits and that kind of stuff, usually for the better. Um, I've actually talked with some people, and unfortunately I can't share their names, but we will be doing a pod about it in the not too distant future, who've had spontaneous mystical experiences 
uh, brought on by Bitcoin, as like in their words. And these are like rational, normal, intelligent, well-adjusted Gigi. people from Gigi the outside. Is Isn't it? Gigi had one of these. Gigi I don't know. About. I don't know. <laughs> um, and, and then they have these experiences where, uh, you know, it seems like they're away for a while and they're just kind of taken by, you know, whatever clarity of perspective is, is brought on by whatever process is at play. And then they come back with a renewed vision and vigor and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and so, you know, what are your guys's, uh, opinions on one, like is Bitcoin a religion? And of course, like we were talking about the incorruptible substance, um, thing earlier. Um, and that kind of Robert, you again, in the masters and slaves uh, of money piece, you, you know, it was so great how you brought in the concept of the logos you know, kind of that, um, yeah, that inner sanctum that, that uh, derives order from chaos, which is a really cool notion. But, you know, obviously we're knocking at the door of religious ideas when we, when you, when we use that type of language. Um, and the fact that Bitcoin does that in the exterior world, it seems, and how we can then use that to construct a better exterior world and blah, blah, blah. So all this stuff, is Bitcoin a religion? And then the, the, ne- the follow-on question on that is, is religion necessary in society? That's something we need to, uh, you know, order ourselves properly. Anybody? That is uh, that is a heavyweight question. <laughs> it is. Um, I'll try and kind of flail about and lay out some of the connections I've seen before, but and a lot of my thinking on this comes from Jordan Peterson. So his book Maps of Meaning, which is a really hard book but it's so fucking good. It's probably 500 pages of the densest shit you've ever read, frankly. Um, I think he said he rewrote each sentence like 50 times. He spent 15 years on it. So anyways, I would encourage you to read the audience whoever's listening to read that book if you're really interested in this topic. And I, I wouldn't mind seeing Jordan Peterson reemerge uh, to say yeah. a few things about what's going on today. I think the world needs you right now. Um, Was he like the first victim of cancel culture? I I don't think that's what got him. I think he had personal problems. No, he problems. just yeah, he had personal stuff. He got addicted to Vicodin, and then he fell down into bad health. And he seems to be, a, you know, he's he's on the meds. Benzodiazepines. Benzodiazepines. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. Right. oh yeah, that's. And he seems to be a, sort of a shell of himself currently. Yeah, I mean, his yeah, wife was like on her deathbed with cancer, and, yeah, and then he had a bunch of problems. So he's been through the ringer, but I think he's coming out of the back end of it now. Yeah, Over. he's on the mend. Um, so hopefully. I think he'll be back. Is, I'm waiting yeah. for that Rogan when he comes back. That'll be a fucking epic Rogan. Yeah. 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 So one of the things he, he distills uh, the teachings of Christ into two main buckets and said, one is that, that Christ taught the world to speak truthfully, right? To, uh, to not lie basically. And that, sounds like it's very moral and spiritual teaching, but it's also very pragmatic if you just think about the nature of truth and deception. Because every time you you tell a falsehood and you implant that with one or two people or if you look to plant it, you now have to protect that falsehood, right, from the truth, which is reality, whatever actually happened. And typically, and you've probably been caught in a situation at some point in your life, you tell some white lie and then it blows, blows up into something slightly larger and so on and so forth. So it's actually energy efficient 
for us to interoperate collectively by telling the truth because you have reality at your back, so to speak, instead of trying to go against it. And the other thing that was really core to Christ's teaching is that we're supposed to, to honor the sovereignty of the individual. So no matter who you're talking to or interacting with, you should act as if you have something to learn, right? And anytime we start to categorize people and just put them in a bucket, that guy's a, a Republican or she's a, an idiot liberal, like you, you, you cut off their sovereignty, right? You stop learning from them, you create a, create a division. And all that is contra contradictory to, to Christ's teaching to, to love one another. So on one side, we have that, kind of like the core principles, Judeo-Christian principles. And then on that religious substructure, that's what capitalism is built upon. So like respect for private property rights is basically saying that we honor the sovereignty of the individual higher than we do someone else's uh, force or control, right? Uh, the fact that we have rule of law you know, it's meant to get at the truth. Um, and then, you know, we did have gold and, and silver, which were, which were honest money, which are kind of an expression of the first two. So in, in that way, I see Bitcoin kind of hitting on both ends. You have this religious Judeo-Christian substructure on which is built, a, call it the American principles or the capitalistic principles. And Bitcoin is like the highest expression of capitalism, right? It's an absolutely pure free market tool. It's purely honest money. Uh, purely truthful price signals propagate through it. And it, underneath it is the, the Judeo-Christian structure and the two, two teachings of Christ, tell the truth, honor the sovereignty of the individual. Bitcoin maximizes both, right? That's all it is, is truthful speech. It does maximize the sovereignty of the individual in a way no other tool ever has. Um, so those are things I'm thinking about currently. As one does. That's an interesting take. I think on the, I'll speak on the, you know, like mystical experience side of things. Um, this happens with chess champions often. This happened with Bobby Fischer. When humans enter realms of higher levels of abstraction, they have been known to have mental breakdowns. Like for instance, chess is a game where after the you know, third or fourth move, you're in a world of abstraction so high that uh, you, you just, your mind breaks under the enormity of it all, right? And so like we always say, the rabbit hole is endless. And it's fascinating, but for certain individuals, maybe it is a bit of a warning and maybe you should uh, <laughs> pump the brakes. But if it's great, hey, fuck it, keep going. Like, it feels good. But is it, do you think it's like, you say the rabbit hole is so deep and Bitcoin's gravity pulls on so many different things. Is it possible that an experience like that is just like the filter got open too wide too quickly? And like... And again, I, you know, yeah. I relate so much to the psychedelic realm, but it is apt that like, you know, psychedelic experience is kind of like your perception is blown wide open and so much is coming in at such a, a speed and magnitude that it floors you, you know, you're, you're literally in awe. And um, I wonder if a similar process, if, if you're just like normally all those connections and the, the, the ways in which you're seeing how Bitcoin impacts and influences things is kind of always this torrent of activity in your brain. And it just gets to such activity that it, flips a switch and you just kind of, I don't know, you, you, you become in, you get also a, a state of awe from, from that. I, I, I think like the, the click of like truly understanding like what Bitcoin and it can represent for humanity on a whole and sort of the, the promise that is inside of the cryptographic proofs and all of the things it contains, like I think really opening to that possibility like provides essentially this window into transcendence because of the way that 
like it, it truly seems to have these eminent principles baked into it. And through those eminent principles, like there's a real opportunity to, to renew uh, the nomos of humanity, essentially. This idea of a tradition and an order and the ability for, you know, for me, it's about people going beyond the state and recognizing that there are things that can be more powerful than the state. And I think, <clears throat> I actually think like a lot of people today, particularly people who take issue with the idea of religion or God, um, like they do have this kind of totalitarian mindset that like the state is the preeminent supreme authority of like all things and like nothing could ever actually overcome the state. Uh, and like, meanwhile, like Bitcoin pops up, like here's this thing that like they can't stomp out if they even tried. So I think, I think it's, uh, um, I'll go ahead. I, I was just going to add, you know, and I, I think really opening to that is, uh, you know, like I know for me, like that, that, that radically changed my viewpoint. Cause like before Bitcoin, I was like, so immersed in despondency of like, we're in this world where humanity has been crushed and like, there's no possible way out. I think it's um, Balaji who has the framework of, you know, there have been these different Leviathans in human history. And like, at first it was God and then it was the church and then it was the state. And now it is the network. And I think Bitcoin is the network that is the new substrate for humanity. So yeah. <laughs> but, There's a, a connection here that I think about as well. You mentioned how psych psychedelics basically disrupt your default mode network, right? Which are kind of the habits and rituals you carved into your brain through repeated action. And what that's one of the things psychedelics does i think michael pollan in his documentary described it as like uh ski grooves on a mountain and then you can think of the psychedelic as just kind of a fresh coat of snow like it's just a new and it just lets you re-architect your habits and thoughts and beliefs i think about that a lot and i'm often comparing kind of a, an economy to an organism right which i think makes sense it's just a collection of organisms doing their thing so it has these emergent properties and has a lot of organic characteristics. So in a way, I think that the default mode network that exists in our mind, it's, it's externalized version is the state, right? It's all these actions that we repeat over time in ritual um, and they're baked into institutions and things like that. So it's almost, I think Bitcoin as a psychedelic is more than just a rough analogy. I think it actually is that, that fresh coat of powder on the mountain that lets us just kind of redraw civilization. Dude. Think about the shibboleths that you replaced when you moved from uh, nation state to sovereign, right? Where, where it was like, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. Right. And, yeah. and now it's like, not your keys, not your coins, run on yeah. <laughs> you, know, you, yeah. you just replace it, right? Yeah. Well, that's, that's part of the original question. Do we need a religion? Like, are we, is that part of our makeup that we need an orienting principle or truth? And, you know, is religion just the belief that most compels our behavior? Is that a good definition for it? Or is it something else? You know, obviously there's a relation to truth here. And, you know, Rob, you were talking about um, Peterson. You know, he, it's always interesting to, for him to talk about it from an evolutionary perspective about how these beliefs kind of emerged and how they're far more deeply ingrained than just, you know, a 2,000-year-old uh, text or, or, you know, formal religion that these are kind of like deeply ingrained 
codified behaviors that uh, when expressed kind of net the best possible outcome. And then he also talks about how, you know, the expression of truth. And I think you've mes- mes- uh, mentioned this in some of your writing, but like true speech is like, um, like is good. You know, that maybe that's a definition of good. It's like you genuinely expressing what you believe to be true, you know, whatever the consequences that is good or right. And, uh, you know, so having said what you guys just said, like, is religion necessary? And if so, what is its relation to truth? Because obviously Bitcoin um, has been described as like this truth machine. You can't really lie to it. Everything is verified, et cetera. Is that why some of the religious connotations get uh, attached to it? Because truth is such a fundamental concept in, in all face, it seems. And Bitcoin is that you know, uh, personified or, you know, in the real, in the exterior world. So I'll try and try and articulate how I I sort of think I may have a glimmer of understanding of what Peterson's trying to say. There's, there's two forms of knowledge, right? There's, I think they call it declarative where like I'm trying to declare and articulate this knowledge right now versus procedural right? And procedurals is going to be, you know how to do something like your body has its own intelligence, right? If you play piano really well, for instance, you're not thinking about how to play piano like that, that is encoded into your body and muscle memory, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I think Peterson's point is that the, the Bible, for instance, is the cult, the accumulation of all these morally relevant tells across time that kind of look at all these different situations and roll them up into a meta situation, into a into a meta hero's journey, a meta tale, and it's it's meant to, uh, I guess, give us the the moral framing of how to live a proper life, more or less. Yeah. And and in that sense, it's almost like a product of the free market, right? It's like these stories have been with us for so long that whether or not we can declaratively say I believe this story, I cognitively cognitively believe it it could be serving some purpose to the embedded knowledge in our body that we cannot even comprehend. Right. So it's almost like religion and life are just, I don't want to say like you need a religion to have life, but I think it's pretty closely biologically connected to our evolutionary um, being. And another way to think about this is like, again, the market, the market is smarter than you by definition, right? If this book has been with us for so long, and these stories, because the stories in the Bible, you know, they've been assimilated from all different wisdom traditions. Like first and second Genesis were written by poets in the Middle East or something like that. So it's, it's this culmination of stories across time that there's a, like, there's a really major Lindy effect for something like the Bible. So even if we don't understand what it means, um, I think it may, may be uh, not only necessary, but it's something that, that emerges naturally from us. Right. And, and on that point, like Peterson talks about this hierarchy of, of decision-making effectively. Right. And there's, there's always a hierarchy, you know, that's the, that's how we get focused. That's how we decide to do things is there's always that's how you move through the room. Right. You have to right. Say, that's there's always choice in this spot. There's a hierarchy. Right. And so I think part of what he talked, what he says on this subject is that at the top of that hierarchy is an ordering 
principle that helps you determine all those answers all the way down the hierarchy. And so, and I guess he would call that, or people of certain faiths would call that God. And I'm just, and as you say, like, maybe this is really a, a very much ingrained part of our evolution. I mean, how could we even have consciousness without that? I mean, consciousness is just like all these different decision trees, right? These different preferences, this over that, this over that. And somewhere up near the top is something that seeds all those decisions that kind of orients those that makes you say this way, not that way. And um, that's what I'm wondering. I'm wondering like, what, what is that for, for us? Like, I, I don't think it's a dogmatic religion. I think it's some kind of an idea or philosophy. And um, I think we're, I think Bitcoin and, and as you brought up in your, your piece, the idea of the logos, like this is all there, but it's like, what's behind that veil that actually that guides those things, you know, that actually, um, yeah, you know what I'm trying to say. I love the quote that the truth is beyond words. Like the, the only real truth, the ultimate truth, right? It's by definition, it's transcendent. So I don't, I think we have to recognize the limits of our capacity. Like as smart as we are and as deep as we can reach, um, there are limits to cognition, limits to logic. And, there, and what my general sense is now, you know, I grew up kind of a scientifically minded kid. I always thought space-time was the most real thing, right? Space-time and, and energy matter. But now I actually think there is a moral dimension to reality. That, you know, it's, it's found somewhere in, in synchronicities, which Carl Jung called the A-causal principle, right? We all experience these things in our life. Um, there's, something, there's something transcendent to the world. And we have to just understand that we can't understand it is what I'm trying you to say. Know, on, on lying, do you guys remember when you were little and you told the lie so convincingly that you forgot the truth? You reshaped your own memory of existence because the way to win an evolutionary game theory is to lie so convincingly. And the only way to do that is to make yourself believe the lie. So self-delusion confers massive advantage in evolutionary game theory, right? I remember being a small kid, like four or five, and I did this. And for a while, I was holding the truth and the lie simultaneously. And then I repeated the lie so often that I lost the truth. I, I literally destroyed a branch of my reality. And when you have everybody doing that in a system that incentivizes that kind of behavior, you end up in a place that's very far from the truth. I mean, you look at every institution we have in society is whole cloth fraudulent, every single one. That's fucking crazy the church, the banks, major league baseball, everything. This is like an era of fraud, right? And so to have that truth machine, you know, the Bitcoin blockchain, which all it does is confirm truth all the time. Uh, it's, it is like, it's akin to a religious experience. It's like being baptized. You step into that light of truth and everything is clear, you know? And, you know, eventually you have to deal with the truth anyway, because it will find you. The truth is like the sun doesn't give a fuck about you. doesn't give a fuck about the realities that you constructed for yourself. It's just going to keep shining no matter what. Love that. Nice. I mean, I guess, I guess to directly answer your question, John, like, I don't think we need it. Like, I think, I think Bitcoin's naturally doing it itself. And like the, the religious experience per se is like, if you accept Bitcoin and like you choose to hold that as like your preferred 
means of wealth like that that seems to come with all of this scaffolding that like you've dug into money and you and you've like explored these ideas uh and i and i wrote an essay about this called the uh the encrypted meaning of crypto about like how we all hate the flagellant term of crypto because like this causes for doofuses to come in and be like oh like eth's just like bitcoin but like you can smart contract it like what even that like whatever that even fucking means but after you've like dug deep enough into this shit you're like oh like cryptography is at the bottom like why do we need cryptography like that and there's this digging of eventually getting like, oh, like the truth is this valuable thing and vis-a-vis how Bitcoin has produced its monetary supply and like that's set forever and we can't change it. It creates this new object of, of uh, I, I, did you call it absolute value, Robert? I forgot how you put it in, in the Bitcoin number zero. Well, absolute scarcity. Yeah, the absolute scarcity. You know, I'm like, and I think like coming to understand these things like in itself sort of is the transcendent experience. And like, I've, I've never met anybody that like fully understands uh, like all, like these things more holistically uh, and that they understand Bitcoin at its core to, to have not turned on it. Like, I think it's interesting. I, I know a lot of people that are like pretty staunch Ethereum folks but like monetary history and uh, general history and economics, like that's not their strong suit. They, they seem to really believe that like, it's okay to just kind of make up things as they go and sort of, you know, it's this very tech mindset of like, Oh, like build it so fast it breaks, but then we correct it. And like, they don't, they really don't register that like maybe that's dangerous to do with millions of dollars, billions of dollars at stake. Well, they're also, they're lying to themselves because their incentives, you know, from an evolutionary game theory perspective, lead them to lie to themselves. It's better to lie because then you can lie to others convincingly. You know? Yeah, and like, it's interesting how much those lies of, like the thing that pisses me off with Ethereum is that uh, with Bitcoin, like literally every single Satoshi, I can trace back to some finite amount of proof of work. Like there was real energy that was spent with it the fucking Genesis block of Ethereum is loaded with all this extra money that like went to Vitalik and friends. Does he deserve that for what he created? Like, I, I don't want to make the judgment cause be the one to judge that. But what I can say is that it's not like Bitcoin and like maybe even the experiments they're doing on Ethereum are important. But again, like I'm not, I'm not interested in my crypto kitties. Like I'm interested in a hard sovereign money that can resist the government coming and stealing it from me and more importantly a community of people that have values around that that like want to protect that thing and make sure that it operates how it's supposed to not willy-nilly throwing what like a fucking quarter billion dollars in some smart contract that eats itself like come on that's guys what, that's what i think is a really big deal is you have that cohesion and fanaticism and zealots to protect the institution right that's kind of the religious element to anything really, even secular institutions are like that. And I tweeted this the other day, but I said 21 million is the inalienable motif for a 21st century religion. So like for a guy like Sailor to put in that much money in Bitcoin and say he wants to hold it for a hundred years, like he's buying equity in the fanaticism of the Bitcoin religion, so to speak. You know, what did he call us? Cyber hornets or whatever. Cyber hornets. Yeah. yeah. Well, and think, think about how powerful myth is in the Bitcoin religion, right? 
think about the Immaculate Conception, the origin story, like who Satoshi is, the mysterious creator, you know, the, the disappearance, all the early things, the Civil War, right? Mm -hmm. And then you think about, so it's like Christianity, right? Then you think about uh, <laughs> Ethereum, and it's like Mormonism. It's like, oh, it was invented by some skinny teenage nerd, and it's full <laughs> of a bunch of lies. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, only one of those systems is going to win out, right? Like you can't, like any religion, like L. Ron Hubbard, right? Any religion where you know who the guy who started it was, it's like, nah, fuck that guy. That guy's name was Ron and he had a social security card. I don't believe in that religion. Right. <laughs> well, I'm like, I was oh, just going to say that, like, they, like one of the problems I have with Ethereum is like, it's the, it's just like happy, merry idea. Like we're going to, we're going to like revolutionize money and like change, change the world. It's, and, it's like, socialism. Everybody's you can gonna, say it. It's socialism. Well, like I, you know, even the word socialism's loaded, but like they don't Monetary understand socialism. that. Like, I, okay, I get. I guess in some ways it is monetary socialism because of the way that they've made choices to 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 distribute. Uh, and like with that being said, like Vitalik's clearly brilliant. He's helped push forward cryptography. Uh, I, like I'm not sure if he has the wisdom to be at the forefront of you know. Like this thing's supposed to come into full conflict with the state and like, I don't know, like the fact that he has like a physical presence and like people can put the clamps on him like that. You know, how do we know the clamps haven't been put on him already? You know, like, mm. uh, and, and furthermore, like, I don't want to detract from uh, what he was doing, but also like, he's what, like 25 or something, 26. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I think for as intelligent as he may be like there's something to wisdom because like, like i got in on twitter with him about the idea of dying like we're gonna fucking die and like you, you need to come to terms with that now, i'm not sure how you guys feel with that but but i i oh, stand yeah. by that um yeah. and like to <laughs> to not to to try to blow off that idea is like we can try to survive forever like i find that deeply alarming because like i think one of the quintessential purposes of being human is to come to terms with your death and figure out what that means as opposed to like running terrified from it your entire life like what is that what does that make your life into you know and that's uh dude just look at all these guys who talk about dying like the aubrey de gray guy right and he's like well if we're gonna live for 150 years then i'll need three wives um to saying and it's like uh what's your real incentive here my guy to fuck three chicks because <laughs> that's what it seems like and Vitalik's the same so way, dude. Ethereum, Ethereum is an obfuscation protocol. I mean, that is what it is. It is set up. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a bunch of lies compounded on lies, compounded on more lies. And Vitalik believes the lies. That's the fucking problem with Vitalik, right? I'm not saying he's not smart. I'm saying he uses all his energy to create fictions that serve his incentives. Well, this, so this so is one very, thing <clears throat> I wanted to ask about, Hollow, what you said, but... Uh, Rob, you mentioned like, you know, um, the zealots and, you know, the hornets and that that's what Sailor was ostensibly buying into. And, you know, one of the questions there is, does, do people, are people drawn to, are, are freedom loving, independently minded, et cetera, et cetera, people drawn to Bitcoin because of what it allows for and what it represents? Or does Bitcoin emanate certain things that are imbued in people that then transform them? You know, that's kind of where I, what I was getting at with the question of like, is is Bitcoin a religion? Like, does it does it have a property of transformation inherent in it that when human beings interact with it, they become transformed? Um, 
you know, it's back to um, the the alchemy thing, frankly, the incorruptible substance, right? So part that I think I've told this before, but so the church in prior years thought that basically Christ was the final redemption and that all you needed to do is live according to that code. And that was it. Right. But there was a group of people that decided to fork off of the church and thought they could find redemptive knowledge in, na- in nature by through experimentation. And that those became, those were the alchemists basically. So they were, which became science, like the alchemical methodologies evolved into the scientific method over time. And their belief was in the search because they didn't know anything about science, right? This was pre-scientific mind. So they thought that the actual um, rituals they would do during experiments would affect the outcome, right? So if they're trying to make a turn of lead into gold, they may do a certain dance and things like this. So the moral there, pun intended, is they actually thought to get to the point where they could discover the, the incorruptible substance, the lapis philosophorum, that they themselves would have to develop in, in as close to possible as incorrupt moral character. So they're constantly trying to elevate their own morality as they try to enhance their scientific understanding of the world. And it was that substance, the incorruptible substance was supposed to be transformative, right? Once they could obtain it, others that interacted with it would be transformed morally. So when you talk about Bitcoin changing people, right? And does it have a a religious uh, flavor to it? it certainly seems like it so far. I mean, people, I think a lot of people say it changes them for the better. Anyone I know that studies it closely has said it has changed them for the better. So it's gotta be something. And since you got in, right? Like since you fell down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, has there been a single day where you haven't attended church? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we go to church every day. We read an article about Bitcoin. We listen to a podcast about Bitcoin. We get on Twitter and fight with Peter Schiff about Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. And for oh me, it brought me back to Christianity through Jordan Peterson. I mean, it's kind of an indirect path, but it is very religious in nature. Well, then there's this extra, like, really weird part where it's like, not only are we going to endow all these religious, for lack of a better word, ideas, but, like, God is going to monetarily reward you for, like, holding desperately and, like, having faith, you know, Cause like everybody who I know who's had Bitcoin that like isn't a convert, like the thing goes up 25% they're like panic selling the shit out of it. <laughs> Whereas anybody else who, who's like firm believer, like they just watch it go up and up and up as long as they want to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I was curious to ask you guys, like, what about the people you meet that like resist, you know? Cause like I have some longtime friends who like know that like, you know, I'm, I'm part of this insane cult. And I try to like get them on board and like they, they won't do it. And like it has, it's, it's all this weird shit with money. Like they're really afraid of like handling it and understanding it. I, I don't know. I wanted to see what you guys thought if you've encountered that too. My, you know, my thing I always go back to is that I think that uh, particularly we're all of a similar ish age. I, I think a lot of people in our gener in some ways our generation is a lost generation. And a lot of people have just fallen into nihilism. And before you can even get them to question the, dogma that surrounds the monetary system i mean you have to get them to fucking care about themselves you know you you have to get them to care about future them right because if they don't care about future them if they convince themselves a long time ago that they didn't have a future you're going to see them in portland lighting a cop car on fire because there ain't shit else to do when you don't have a future you know 
Hmm. Yeah, um, people that have resisted me and chat, like I'm on a big text thread with a bunch of guys from college and there's about maybe a third of the guys in the room that think Bitcoin's sold a bullshit. So I just have open bets with them. <laughs> I'm like, Bitcoin will X by X and you better hedge your bet now because you're fucked. And that seems to do the job. Yeah, I don't, I don't get into it very much with people. Like if there's interest, I do. But it's, it's not even a combative thing. It's, I don't know. If, if people haven't kind of gone down the money rabbit hole, if people, because so much of today's discourse is so surface level. It's so emotional it's so you know you 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 scratch anybody in these social conversations we have about money bitcoin economy covid politics whatever you scratch the surface a little bit and they have nothing to back up their views and perspectives and opinions very little of of note like of you know and, and my big thing during this whole crisis which has been laid bare quote unquote crisis is I knew before that the mainstream media was obviously garbage and that, you know, people that use that as a main source of information were fucked, but uh, I didn't appreciate the level of disregard for uh, logic, reason, and factual data or information used to make decisions about whatever. Like I thought whatever side of anything you were on that, that underlying method of going about things still had some merit. Um, and I've been really let down in that regard over the last number of months, because like I said, it doesn't matter what one of those issues it is, you know, calm, rational assessment of the greatest approximation of the reality of a given situation that we can uh, determine is not of interest to almost anybody. And everyone's opinions are formed on the basis of emotion, or their self-interest or insecurity of various kinds. Like, you know, so I don't, uh, I don't trouble myself with, with trying to convince many people these days. Now, if people are, show interest and I go full fire hose, you know, in the most controlled method I can, but um, yeah, people are just so far from it. And I don't, it's really hard to, can't bring them up to speed. Maybe you can't do it at all. I mean, people got to kind of find the, what was, what's the quote? Like, I can only show you the door or something. You got to walk through it or I can't walk the path for you or whatever, you know, tons you can, of you can lead a horse to water. Yeah. Make them drink. Yeah. Drink. I've, uh, I've called this phenomenon soft money, soft minds, because I do think that all day long we are walking around, uh, economically calculating in our heads. Right. And like, look around the room you're in. There's not a single thing that money hasn't touched, including you, your haircut, right? Like, whatever Today. clothes you're wearing. Yeah. Et cetera. So, I mean, because we're walking around incorrectly calculating all the time, you know, it's just become power games. It's just postmodern power games. And in order to get closer to the center of power, which is going to be your lifeblood is going to help you prosper, you know, get you some of that sweet quintillion effect coming to you. You have to recite the shibboleth of your tribe, your sect, your group, you know, basically you're a slave. <laughs> you're you're a total fucking surf and you have to make your kingship your lordship happy in order to get your fucking bread for the week and you know when what's you're crazy a about that? you don't have to do that it's it's you know we've all read the sovereign individual i think right i actually I haven't but i i know it's i'm supposed to I know you I'm got it. To. <laughs> it it is one of those books that you're supposed to and it and it delivers in my opinion but yeah. um 
you know, it, it talks about, it, it goes through a historical perspective. It looks at the Middle Ages. It, it looks at how absurd the, um, you know, policies and procedures and dictates of the church were at its kind of zenith right before it fell uh, or lost significance um, and how it kind of tried to hold on to that significance through a variety of what we perceive now to be like really outrageous uh, things. And I look around today and it, once you begin to, when you, once you see it clearly, what's happening today, you just see utter insanity, outrageousness everywhere. And how to, like you said, like in institutions, in people's behavior, in policy, in politics, et cetera, et cetera. And the, the really crazy thing is for people that don't see that yet, or the people that, you know, have no appreciation for, you know, kind of being able to extricate themselves from the historical moment and look at it with, you know, um, try to foe hindsight, even though it's in the current time. Um, and obviously a study of history helps you do that uh, more, but um, they, it's like, they're almost blinded to all of it. And I wonder like, does it even matter how egregious it becomes? Like, could it, because it's, a, it's completely absurd right now, but could it? Oh, there's no such thing as it can't. I mean, it can get more egregious, but nobody will notice. That's what I'm that saying. It has gotten more egregious. That's what I'm saying. Right? So it, like the, what's going on there that, you know, people can find themselves in the moment in like what in hindsight will be so obviously seen as a, like when we read that passage in the sovereign individual, we see all these things the church was doing to try to maintain its grip on power. And we say, holy fuck, like how do people even put up with this shit yeah. back then? Like, why did they put up with these taxes and these dictates and having to, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it, they're going to say the exact same thing about what's happening now. And, you know, my big question is always like, what is it that kind of disallows us or prohibits us or makes it ch extremely challenging to see beyond what's happening in the current moment? Is like, is that just the, the tragedy of history that you, you, you can never, you know, really appreciate the current moment until you view it in hindsight? It's fear. Yeah, it's fear. I think it's, it's threat detection. It's our threat detectors, which lead us into that, right? Because, you know, there's a lot of things that are appearing very scary right now. And, uh, you know, normal people just want to avoid that. So they go along with the bullshit. But they don't realize that in going along with the bullshit, they're going along with their own demise. They're leading themselves towards a certain doom. Right? Yeah. And, and I, it, it's, it's funny because uh, when you were talking earlier, Hoddle, I, was, I, I, I had the, the flash of thought of that, like, with everything around us being about money, people have been taught this poor person's mindset to think like a Marxist. So that like, all I can do is sell labor. Like I don't, I don't have anything else to do except for go open up my holes for whoever wants to fill them for whatever price. And, and that's all I have. And, you know, for me with Bitcoin, one of the things was this discovery of like, Oh, I can like own this object of value that can appreciate. And I can like take sovereign direction in what like my savings and my wealth looks like. And for so long, I felt like the only option was to get fucked, get the 401k, pay all the taxes, play the game the exact way that they want me to play it. And when I finally realized like, oh, I can actually like take the bulk of my money, put it on the line as a risk. And yeah, I can like get my shit blown up, but like I can also have a blow up in a different direction that can empower me. And to me, like the more important one was like learning that, that tool of like empowerment like that's the thing that changed everything for me. Like that was my transcendental moment where I realized that like I had personal power to change how all this bullshit was going on for myself. 
And, and it's pretty sad because, yeah, like most, like we're living in Plato's cave right now where we're like, dude, yeah. like you guys get that like these are just fucking shadows on the wall. And they're like, huh, like check out this nerd. Like he thinks that the shadows on the wall aren't real. Like what a fucking moron. Yeah. And meanwhile, you know, like. Peaceful protest. It's, they're peaceful. You know, and like I Those get aren't it. People riots. are people are pissed and they're rioting because, you know, A, they can get away with it, but B, like this little bit of power getting the pushback against the cops or, or whatever, like that means so much to them because like they don't have any real power anywhere else. Like why the yeah, fuck would makes these them people feel be powerful. rioting? Yeah, like if November 4th actually mattered, you know, like these people wouldn't all be out there burning shit down. And they all know, and like that's the reason why I don't like to play the, the right left game with people is because like, and I tell them every time point blank, your vote doesn't matter. There's a two-party state that's dedicated to making sure that you can't get anything. Like, if you want to do something radical, don't fucking vote. Buy Bitcoin. Actually try to get the fuck out of this system and show people that you want to do something different. Or even better, do, do, do psychedelics. Do them deep and see what they bring out. We, dude, listen, we hit the iceberg an hour ago. The fucking boat is, you know, it's sinking. Like, and we're all sitting in the lifeboats being like, get the fuck in. And people are like, things are great up here. Why would I get in the lifeboat? They're still Are playing the orchestra. Why? Why? Would we get yeah, they're still dancing on the deck. Like, come on, what's wrong with you? Yes, there's some fires, but whatever. I mean, to me, when I figured out that shit was exactly. really fucked, was at was at the beginning of this year when all the COVID shit was going on. Uh, we didn't know what it was. You know, like uh, my wife was pregnant at the time, uh, so like when we were going to the stores, we we're like, let's wear masks, let's do it. And this was like a month before doing it. And everybody looked at us like we were fucking weirdos and freaks and shit, you know? And then the CDC says, don't wear masks. They then reverse that shit a couple, like a month later. And every, everybody just went right fucking along with everything. And it just, it blew my mind. I was like, this is 1984 shit right in front of us. And y'all are just going along with it, you know? And it's really scary because when you start to realize that everything has gone off the rails and that like, it's just a, a gigantic lying criminal gangbang fest at this point. Like, it's scary to come to terms with that. Yeah. We're all to some degree, to one degree or another, we're, we're all like the kids who fell through the cracks, right? That's why we can see it and other people oh, yeah. can't see it, you know? The thing um, about possession, like John was talking about, I think about that Carl Jung quote all the time that people don't have ideas, ideas have people. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I can't help but perceive that the call it the state apparatus has become very deft at pulling those ideological strings um and i just think that people do get so attached to their ideology right and that's they, they played this game with money so well like you know they blended it with religion um it's got the nice the ritualistic looking buildings and paper and it's just amazing how well a small group of people can play a large group of people um, through these arts, you know, these dark arts, I guess you would call them. Yeah. You know, one of the, again, not to beat a dead horse, but back to that question of like what drives behavior, you know, uh, Eric, with these people that you were just referring to, like, I, I do often wonder like what is animating them, you know, like what, and, and this goes back to my question around Bitcoin. Like, is it a religion? Because, and actually also what Hoddle said about like, you know, truth doesn't give a fuck what you think. It's that light that, that shines, but you've almost like, you've got a, 
believe in something. And I think maybe the world opens up to you when you believe in the truth. But if you believe in something that's not the truth, maybe that's kind of the path to destruction. You know, I used to do this funny thing when I was a kid. I realized the power of belief. When I was like 14, I read this book called Hidden Power, Unleashing the, the Power of Your Subconscious Mind or something, something like that. And okay. Really, yeah, and, and yeah, it does. <laughs> but it was really fucking interesting, right? And, uh, you know, because I'd never thought about my subconscious mind at 14. And, and I was like, oh, there's this other thing there that's like guiding the vast majority of my behavior. Maybe I should acquaint myself with this bitch a little bit and try to understand it. And, you know, whatever, let's, let's say it was like working out and, and being fit. And I was like, dude, but I fucking love eating pizza and cookies and shit. Like, I, I don't, I don't want to have to do what's necessary to, to do that. But I realized that like, if I could, I, willpower is exhausting, right? But if I could get to the point where I actually believed uh, in like the merit of, of doing something, then I, I kind of realized that my will would kind of align with it and it would be a lot less friction in achieving whatever that thing was. But I had to get to a point where I actually believed in the truth or the value of it. And so that was kind of like a little bit of a hack that I use. And of course, that has its own impact of navigating kind of the things that you do with your life because you gravitate towards those things that you believe have truth in them because it makes that process so much easier. Like I don't got to convince myself that much to believe in something if I believe I'm perceiving truth. Do you know what I mean when I say yeah. that? So, yeah. Yeah. so that made, you know, that obviously made things easier and it had the added benefit of, of bringing me towards things that I, you know, I guess were truthful. And I, I would, I would argue that, you know, those are very beneficial things and they help construct like a, a you know, a good individual maybe. But if, if you believe wholeheartedly in something that is an illusion or a delusion, then that guides your behavior too in a very similar process, except it's leading you ostensibly away from truth and down a path where that's maybe not good for, for your development as an individual. And so when I see all this crazy behavior on the TV and stuff, and we've, we've touched on it a lot already in this conversation, but I do wonder, like, back to that question, like what animates that behavior at, you know, at the very top of that thing? Like what belief is guiding that behavior? And I get that it's an ideological possession and I get that they're not informed and I get there's a, a ton of emotion wrapped up in that. And it's probably very rudimentary kind of, base level belief that's guiding it but i still like whatever that is i guess i'm making the case that that is religion like that that belief that guides or compels your behavior that's your orienting principle that's your compass and that's what steers your behavior and to the extent that you can make that thing truthful then you're on the right path to the extent that that thing is an illusion or a delusion you're headed towards destruction. And uh, that's all I got for that thought. But you, know, you guys made me think of it when you're everything you just said. It's, it's like a, you know, it's a false idol, basically. Yeah, yeah. It's a well, no, like, isn't that exactly what the state, <laughs> isn't that exactly what the state and the money is now? Is that like, we, we know that this thing is a huge fucking lie. Like they just printed up a fuck ton of money for them and they're all their buddies and they threw some fucking chump change. And like, hat how is the framework of this thing even like it doesn't have that thing up at the top it has all these assembled networks that like eventually collapse in all these different lies and i think most people out there you know they're just trying to keep their head above water but like these like core 
truths that they have about themselves and what they believe. Like, I, I actually think like if you root down into it, they like they would have to discover these things that, you know, essentially are built upon lies. And like, it's, it's really hard to come into contact with because it's a, it's terrifying, but it also like destroys a part of you. And if like, you're not ready to do that, you're, you're, you're going to turn away. It's going to freak you listen, out. You know, listen, you can run on for a long time. Sooner or later, God's going to cut you down. You know what I mean? There's always this big magnitude truth bomb that goes off in every generation that realigns perspectives in, you know, our grandparents' generation it was World War II and the bomb. In our parents' generation, it was 9-11. In our generation, it might be when you walk into the store with your debit card and it doesn't work, right? Like truth is coming for you eventually. There's nothing you can do. It's going to be here. You can only like fucking lie to yourself for so long. I like, um, I refer to this in the paper too, but the American pragmatists define truth as the end of inquiry. And I interpret that to have two meanings actually. Like not only is it the aim of inquiry, so anytime we're asking questions or looking into something, we're trying to get to that accurate portrayal of reality, but it's also the, the outcome of inquiry and in that however much inquiry has been made into that topic so far, the, the latest the length of that chain, that is our best approximation of truth. Even if it's not, uh, even if it's not super accurate, it's our own truth basically. And I, it's interesting to me that despots and monopolists, basically that is their first impulse is to try and stifle inquiry, right? You don't want journalism. You don't want uh, investigations. You don't even want free market competition, right? Which itself is a process of discovery or inquiry. So, that's kind of the source of the lie, right? It's like, stop here. Here's your ideology in a box with a bow on it. Don't ask any more questions. Don't inquire, right? They're trying to, to interrupt this impulse toward truth that people have um, in order to steal from them, right? At the end of the day. So, you know, <clears throat> Rob, you mentioned in your article um, that that's what the market is, right? The market is trying to find truth and you get all these entrepreneurs allocating capital to try to satisfy needs and wants the best and and the ones who do that the best are the ones who've come to the closest approximation of truth as you just mentioned like is all this chaos we're seeing on a far large a far higher order scale or a macro scale like is that the same process but we're instead of dealing with like the satisfaction of individual market demands and truths like we're 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 trying to determine or satisfy a larger one like all these people are representing let's just take a, a contingent into today's society like the you know blm protesters or postmodernists or you know that kind of thing like they staunchly believe in that you know that guiding orienting philosophy that that they espouse um and let's say we as a as a faction espouse a different one and is it just a matter of like the same process is playing out? We're putting skid in the game. We're putting our money where our mouse is. We're orienting our lives around these principles. They're doing the same. And, you know, when the dust settles, there will be one that proves to be more truthful. And that one will persist until the process repeats. Yeah, I, I just, I envision it as we're all looking at one little slice of space and time each, right? So we all have our own aperture that's very small, 
relative to the totality of everything. And not only is it very small, but it's also distorted, right? With our own context, like our own interpretive schema, our own beliefs, our own opinions, our own ideologies even. And that, that is, that's what a market is, right? It's like we're assimilating all these narrow scope viewpoints and by comparing them to one another, we're eliminating bias and we're really getting this super high resolution picture of reality by basically looking through all of the apertures collectively. That's kind of what the market yeah, price I, is. That's what I 100%, is. I 100% agree with that. It's like you talk to people nowadays and they're like, hey man, there's no truth, man. Everybody has their own truth. I have my truth, you have your truth. No, there's no fucking, you don't have your own truth, <laughs> God damn it. Like our truths are like what Robert said. Yes, we all do have our own subjective truths, but somewhere in the interconnectedness of it all is the macro truth, right? Right. Like we are all just decentralized nodes in a network and yeah. we all form this panopticon and we come up with objective truth. Yeah, yeah like mathematics would be the purest form of that, right? And right. a postmodernist would argue two plus two equals five. But as we know, it's not even that mathematics are fictional they're hyper real because right. they allow us to represent places in reality that we can't conceive of otherwise and at different time scales like it everything in science is is co encoded in mathematics so it's um it's realer than real yeah and it's like if it works it's real you don't have to question the why of it because right. you'll never know the why if you know the how and the how works it's real it's true right? Like Bitcoin works. None of the other systems work. <laughs> Ethereum doesn't fucking work. <laughs> they have to start over with a new system, you know? So are we at a point, you know, in the sovereign individual, again, back to that, that book, they talk about kind of the, the slowly changing um, returns on violence, these mega political shifts. It, I, you know, I think when we all grew up, we have these uh, rose colored glasses where, you know, we, we think the world can be as we like a, some kind of a utopia as we desire it to be. Or it, it can it can be that great world that we, we imagine. Um, but that book kind of puts a little bit of uh, re reality to that perception because it kind of says that we're only going to, and, and I'm, I'm talking about this through the lens of freedom, but you're only going to experience a level of freedom that is, that coincides with the degree to which you can preserve that freedom, right? That's kind of the, the thesis of the book. And that's the returns on violence. Like, can you defend against the level of magnitude of violence that can be exacted upon you? And so technology kind of waxes and wanes um, or through this process and people the arc of history seems to trend, tend, bend towards freedom, um, but you're still somewhat bound by uh, the reality of that trend in the time that you're in. So, you know, I, freedom is what this is all about, in, in my opinion, and obviously we've touched on it a little bit here. Is, are there... Are there things that we won't be able to, like that, that Bitcoin won't deliver to us in, in that realm? Like, are there still going to be unchecked boxes that we just have to, you know, accept that they'll, they'll be relegated to a future or future generations? Um, you know, that it's just even as great as Bitcoin is, it won't really, won't really deliver to us just because of the historical time that, that we're going to, that I'd we're like in? to, um, 
I'd like to take that question maybe one level up actually. It's like not only what boxes maybe Bitcoin doesn't check, right? Or doesn't fix, but there's this quote uh, from Sophocles. He said, nothing vast enters the life of mortals without a curse. And so that got me thinking, what is the curse of Bitcoin or what is its shadow? What is the thing that could be really big and dark about it 200 years from now? Mm. I have no idea. I literally <laughs> curious. I mean, I'll, I'll just dial this up to full crazy. Like, you know, I, I think Bitcoin's messianic and like that means it impels the apocalypse. Like it's like shit's going to be fucking bad. And like, while Bitcoin is going to be this really great light in the middle of it that, you know, I think will see us through and allow for us to recreate kind of a totally new order that was similar to seeing the, the opening of America as, you know, like the first democracy. Uh, yeah, like it, it's going to be really bad. And in addition to like all of the real world components of like what needs to be done in converting of people is like, like that's like a real and personal task. Uh, that's like totally removed from the development of the technology and all that stuff. And like, uh, while I don't want to say it requires us to go out and proselytize, like I, I do think that's eventually a point that gets made in conjunction with like, uh, like when the state really figures out what's going on, like it's going to freak the fuck out. Cause like, that's the thing I love the most about like crypto it's with like all of this bullshit that's going on and so much fucking noise. Like it's become the perfect motherfucking cover for Bitcoin. Oops, and we're like, yeah, like take this blockchain thing, like integrate it into your fucking national bank. Like go ahead, you <laughs> retards. And like, meanwhile, Odysseus is like in there with all of his bros being like, look at these dumb motherfuckers. They're like actually bringing this horse into Troy. I'm going to have this whole essay about, uh, like the the trojan horse is a hilarious story because like in it like they told them they're like oh like this horse was built so big and glorious that like you guys could never bring it into troy and at that <laughs> moment the trojans were like fucking this thing's coming inside right now <laughs> one one thing i think about is that um i think there's going to be this moment this test that we're going to fail and it's going to be like in lord of the rings when they defeat sauron at the beginning and they have the ability to cast the ring into the fire. And they don't. And the ring is the state. Because the state is too powerful a weapon, and anybody who has the means to wield it will attempt to wield it. And so I don't really think that we're going to opt out of the state. I think that we're going to co-opt the state and use it for our own purposes. And that the people that are going to be living under us, maybe it's not any better than the current order. That's kind of a dark answer. Do you actually think that's how it's going to unfold? I think uh, humans are weak and uh, I can definitely see that happening, but I'll be a fair ruler, John, really <laughs> nice oligarch. Okay. No, I mean, at the core of all this, this is a power grab because our generation got fucked. We got really fucked. And this is, you know, people that can code have superpowers and being able to wield Bitcoin is like having X-Men powers and fighting regular people with guns. It's like, not going to beat us. Like, I want to point out, like, how fucking hysterical is it that, like, the first generation who, like, grows up to be, like, digital natives and, like, understand this fucking sorcery, that, like, they get treated so shitty and are disregarded in such a horrific way that we're, like, not yeah. only are we going to use our superpowers to, like, fuck the world up, but, like, now we're going to make a money and we're just going to, like, take all of it. Yeah. And, like, it's like... like 
It's like the beginning of every like superhero movie where like Peter Parker is like, get out of my way, nerd. And then he becomes Spider-Man, <laughs> you know? Pretty much. Well, that's, how like, the boomers, that's how the boomers were treating us. Like, here's a bunch of debt. Suck on it, nerd. Right? <laughs> <laughs> or like, uh, hey, we're going to go ahead and disrupt gold for you, actually. Exactly. <laughs> It is a it is a power. I mean, that's how I see it. I, I think it is a power grab by young men. Uh, you know, because we weren't given our fucking seat at the table, and it's like that's not good enough for me. I'm not going to go full nihilist. I'm going to take what's mine, and I'm going to use whatever means I can to get it. Well, like I, it's funny because like this has really challenged a lot of my beliefs in a lot of ways. But like, does does this like allow for Bitcoin to become this like full political apparatus? Like, does it become like somehow? A political party and like does that align in some way uh and it's interesting because like for a long time i've felt like oh no like it's gonna do its thing totally on its own but like i'm entertaining more and more that like i actually think like as the powers that be try to like fight this shit and like all of the nefarious and shitty ways they've done essentially like bitcoiners are gonna get so outraged they're just gonna kind of rise up and like go to fuck up this system and like that's the place i'm the most excited about like i I would really love to see uh, us try to use, because like there's an alternative way that the, the constitution can get amended. And that's like through the state route. And I'd love to see like Bitcoiners attack through state legislatures to essentially like get Bitcoin recognized as money. And like the Federal Reserve's debt is like completely given to the United States federal government for them to like figure out what the fuck to do with on their own. Yeah. It's like a fun fantasy. Awesome. Why do you need Ethereum smart contracts when you can just take over the judicial system? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you guys think, you know, on that point, Eric, the, when, when Bitcoiners become capitalized and, and this process plays out, um, a lot has been made of kind of the Bitcoin is a wealth transfer to the curious or the millennials or the younger generation or whatever. And you all just said how, you know, how the previous generations have kind of fucked us with the debt and the monetary system, et cetera. But obviously, you know, a lot of the quote unquote smart money is getting into Bitcoin now. You know, people talk about all the finance people, whether or not they can get their funds into it and stuff, but they personally are getting into it. Is that, just par for the course, can't do anything about it. And it's good because it expands the economic mass of this thing, or is it the wrong people getting their hands on it? And does that perpetuate, you know, a lot of the different things that are happening now that we deem undesirable. I mean, like I if mean, you're smart money okay. and you're getting into Bitcoin in 2020, like, mm, I, I know, but probably... relatively, right. Some people won't get in for another decade. Yeah. It, like, I think the problem is, is that the people that don't understand it won't know how to use it. And so when it comes time to show up to take people's fucking lunch money, they're going to be, they're going to be out, you know? And like, there's another contingency of people that are like, the, like all these people that are keeping their Bitcoin custodial, uh, like there's going to come a time that like the president of the United States is going to 6102 exchanges and all these kids that keep their fucking coins on exchanges they're they're going to get their usd coin issued to them and fucking lucks out on having any bitcoin you know and so uh, i think naturally all of these uh wealthy individuals that are coming into bitcoin right now like they don't they just see money you know and the same thing like their portfolio is going to go up 75 percent. oh hell 700 percent, and they're going to go fucking sell give me that pretty pretty fiat and then it's going to go up ten thousand percent and then 
it doesn't even convert to fiat anymore because hyperinflation is so rampant. They just stopped doing it. I mean, totally. I mean, they have the wrong unit of account. Their unit of account is still USD. I mean, that's like when all the stuff was going on with the, the sick DeFi gains. It was like, well, you're valuing everything in USD. I'm trying to take territory on the Bitcoin blockchain and take advantage of absolute scarcity. I don't give a fuck about the shitty game of hot potato you're playing, right? In terms of like who's getting in and can we stop them? The answer is no. We obviously can't stop them and they will all get in. There's a life raft available for every single billionaire on the planet and most multimillionaires. So the people that profited off the system are going to continue to profit unless they're just so dense that they, they don't even hedge a little bit, which in which case, great. I, I you know, obviously, but um, I think over time, you know, sats are like water, man. They roll downhill. Like they will go to the strongest hands that are capable of holding them. If you can't hold them, they weren't yours to begin with. Yeah, I, um, I think a lot of smart, smart money is coming into the space on still denominating USD, but then the guy like, like Sailor coming in, he came in so strong, as in wants to hold it for 100 years. So I, I, I'll be interested to see if there's more archetypes of that guy rolling in, right? Like just someone that understood tech a lot for a long time and managed to go down the Bitcoin rabbit hole deep enough to know that you want to hold and never let go, basically, um, versus the guy looking to make a quick buck. Yeah. To Eric's point, like a lot of the really smart money, like Reed Hoffman were in back, you know, Chamath. Those guys yeah. were in super, super early, right? Yeah. So the guys who deeply understand tech, they've been in for a while and they got in cheap. Yeah. But I do think that it, it's, Bitcoin is hard to understand, but once you understand it, it's pretty obvious, I think, in a lot of ways. So yeah. I don't, I don't, I just hold out a lot of, I don't know if it's hope, in the in the digital age, it just it brings things to the surface very quickly. So if Bitcoin just keeps doing its thing in the market. I think there's going to be a breaking point where its narrative just punches through. And I don't even know, like it doesn't even need to surpass the market cap of gold necessarily. Like that would be a full blown proven market test. But even if it's on that trajectory, uh, people, you know, capital's highly liquid and people can flip quick. So. Like the, suddenly, I guess you'd say that's one of that's one of the things too. Bitcoin doesn't need more people; it needs more capital. And most people are incredibly poor. Most people have they don't have four hundred dollars in the event of an emergency. There's something like um, I published it a little bit ago, but there's something like a hundred thousand people in the world who control half the wealth. Yeah. So you just need them, really. Yeah. And and with that being said, like the. The narrative for Bitcoin has been difficult and murky for, for a long time because there is all this noise and shit. But when people get it, we're going to get more Michael Saylors and they're going to be like, they're, they're going to be the strong converts at the forefront of this whole thing. Like they're going to be the vanguardists who are going to be like, I finally have a way to protect my wealth so that the, like these fuckers at the state can't get after me. Like I, I sincerely believe in the next decade, we will see many Americans actually flee from the United States and they'll use Bitcoin to protect their wealth and make sure that they don't get chased after for their taxes in conjunction with there'll probably be some sort of president that will come through that will push through an executive order, letting them repatriate themselves and all of their Bitcoin without a massive amount of taxes coming down their pipeline. 
I also think we could see uh, just, you know, a tax holiday uh, for hodlers because that'll be strong, strong incentive to get you to divest to the American government. Mm -hmm. Which it's also pretty funny that like the U S government through their piss poor tax treatment of this, like has, has caused for a lot of hodling to happen. Like I, I think it's, it's pretty ironic yeah. and great that like their, their, their demand to try to defensively defend all the special purposes for their own capital gains by not giving it to us. They essentially had us be like, okay, we'll just, We'll just go for the extra 10x gains this next round. So thanks, guys. By that point, you know, the cat will be out of the bag to the extent that they'll actually, the state will actually be looking to hold Bitcoin as well. So this, they'll, they'll kind of realize, oh, we've lost the monopoly. So maybe we do give favorable tax treatment to get Bitcoin back into our economy and circulating such that they can pick up revenue on those trans transactions. Yeah. Just a few more things, guys. But on that point, uh, Eric, like, I think everyone's, as a result of what's happened in 2020, has given thought to, like, am I in the right place? You know, obviously, there's a big exodus from big city centers, LA, New York. A lot of people are looking at rural, you know, red state sort of places where they can, you know, preserve their freedom effectively for themselves and their family and stay out of the, the you know, the fray that's going on in, in many of the cities. Um, and you mentioned, like, you know, maybe people leave the US, but one of the questions I'm asking myself lately is like, where else do you go? Like, I don't, you know, I, I live in Thailand and under most, you know, most of the time under different circumstances. And I don't trust that government as far as I can throw them, you know, they're extremely corrupt and you know, they're, so my question is like, yeah, where, where do you go? Like I'm at this point, I'm thinking like, I hope Texas secedes soon and maybe I can immigrate to that new country. And that would be great. Cause there's a bunch of Bitcoiners and there's, you know, decent rights of various kinds and lots of space. And, but, you know, have you guys given thought to Hoddle? I think you're moving at some, you know, some point. Right? Oh, I'm definitely, I'm going rural in a red state. Texas is on the list. Uh, me and you haven't decided about, yet. I haven't decided yet. Me and Robert were talking about this privately, you know, just like comparing notes basically. And, um, you know, one of the things about like leaving America, for instance, you're going to go to um, Bali or Thailand or, you know, any of these island nations or, you know, that, where you're going to have a great tax structure and you know, all this stuff, cheap cost of living is uh, what happens when America falls. If America falls, China comes in and that shit is theirs now and you're fucking communist and you got no say in the matter. So it really is like America is the Alamo of the world this is the place where we make our last stand. And if America falls to communism, we're fucked. <laughs> so that's, we just got to defend it. Yeah. I've actually, you know, I, as you guys know, I've lived in China for a while and I've thought about that. Like, and, and I think we see a lot of fracturing and we see jurisdictions that try to attract capital by having, you know, favorable policies for people to come with wealth, et cetera. And, you know, that's kind of the, the unfolding Citadel narrative, but, you know, China is this big Leviathan, you know, that I don't think is, you know, they have an extremely strong national identity. Obviously, the government has a strong grip on everything. And as you say, like, if, if America falls, they kind of their role as stabilizer in the world. And I know that's a highly contentious statement, because America has gone around the world fucking shit up for a long, long time. I mean, that's even a worthwhile debate if they if they have even played a role of kind of like, 
stabilizing the world at all. You know, the Pax Americana, is that even a thing? Because they've fucked up a lot of shit. But let's just assume that that's the case. They recede and the vacuum is filled by China. Like, yeah, it's great to have like 100,000 people in an island nation citadel owned by American HODL. And, you know, the policies are great. And everyone has this, you know, modern, happy life. But, you know, China can roll up with its bombers and its ships and just be like, listen, we like what you have and we're just, you're under our dominion now. And, you know, how, how do we, how does that get resolved? How do we avoid that outcome? Uh, I mean, one thing, oh, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, like, one thing in, that I really love about the United States is, like, I just don't think China could ever take us just because of the, the pure amount of fucking arms that Americans own. And, like, that's some hubris, man, though, man. It, I mean, the fucking Romans thought the same, right? That's always the case. I was going to say, this I gives mean, you, me a little bit of hope. Yeah, a, a land invasion <laughs> is probably unlike. <laughs> well, like, the, like, this plays into both, like, ethnicism and, and national identity is that, like, the Chinese show up, like, everybody from blue, red, green, and orange are going to unite and they're going to go anybody but those guys. Like, like we can kill each other when this shit's all done. And the others is like, as America, like we marched into Vietnam being like, we can, we'll bomb the shit out of these people and they'll submit. And they had us on the fucking run because they, first of all, is that like in guerrilla combat, like the Telerurik, like the, the earth and knowing the land like that, that is unequivocally the most powerful asset. Totally. Totally. And I'm trying to do... What I'm saying is if America like crumbles from within it, not a land invasion or anything like that. I'm just saying if for whatever reason, America recedes and we get this citadel structure, people leaving the, you know, the, the corpse of a, you know, a oppressive dying state and they go to these places. Like if there's still a massive superpower in the world, uh, does that, negate the ability to find like Hoddle was saying like where do you go like if you don't stand for preserving what's in place then you say okay I'm just going to get out of Dodge and carve out my own little piece of paradise but are you just prolonging the inevitable where someone knocks on your door one day more you know metaphorically not land invasion whatever but and says you know you're ours now so you'll abide by our rules and 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 power loss are still in play uh I don't like I I just think the future is so wacky that like um can't predict it. Like well one like I don't think you can predict it but also like I sort of see it the task as bitcoiners like it's not just about bitcoin it's also about like data privacy and like making sure the internet becomes this tool for free use and free education and like in a lot of ways that like I think through America's downfall like it can also allow for this renewal of like all of our principles and ideas cuz like it, it's downfall uh, like, I absolutely want to see this two-party state destroy itself. And, like, I also want to see that, like, what reestablishes itself in its place, either, you know, like, through a U.S. presidency or what I would much rather see would be several confederacies of states that get together to make their own new nations together that are about these, like, core American principles that we all can all agree upon. And I think through, essentially, like, through what our political destiny is Bitcoin Bitcoiner it is, is to like have this thing go political and to actually like push that out into the world. Because others, I believe that like through the American idea and like what we have and the principles that we represent, if we could like go back to essentially a gold standard using Bitcoin and like pushing that out into the world, like I think that 
like a Bitcoin standard would be way more damaging for the world than a US dollar standard. Damaging how? Uh, because of the way that, uh, I, like people know the, the dollar game is rigged and it doesn't give the same sort of gains that Bitcoin gives in conjunction with the privacy features and the ability to use cryptography. I think that stuff is pretty damaging to Chinese control and how they want to play the game. And, and like, this is one of my hopes is that like, as we go into this wacky future that uh, we're all going to find solidarity based upon these new ideological identities, as opposed to our past nationalistic ones. Yeah. And that's also going to work on the flip side too, with like the communists all getting together to like try to work and help each other too. I think we're going to wake awaken from this hallucination of nationalism. Um, go as we go into the, the Bitcoin world. But as far as um, like what to do, like stand your ground or go abroad or whatever, I just, I try to be practical about this and, you know, freedom is optionality. So I want a lot of sats. I want a lot of citizenships, multi-flag theory. Uh, I want 3D printed weapons, right? I want access to water, beef, like all these things. And just have it, have it in as many places as possible have as many home bases as possible because you don't know what country is going to get sideways. You don't know, you don't know what's going to happen at all in this transition. So I think optionality is your best friend. Well, that's why the billionaire class is not that afraid because they're going to be able to jet set wherever the fuck they need to go. But the yeah. people that are, you know, single digit, double digit multimillionaires, they are afraid because they know that under communism, their heads on the chopping block, either your wealth, all your time will be confiscated or your, uh, life will be confiscated. Which is another thing I keep thinking about is once that realization dawns on that particular class, like there's going to be a stampede into Bitcoin. I also think there's going to be a rush to fascism. I have to be honest about that one. Why? You know, well, just as an American conservative, you know, I have enough metacognition to tell you that I understand my own moral framework and underpinnings but I feel ready for fascism. If you just ask me how I feel from my limbic system, what does I'm fascism like, mean to you? Go, go kill some people, make shit normal again. <laughs> like oh. it's, you know what I mean? Well, it's just like, you mean heavy handed crackdown to make things law and order. order, order times again. are going to get, times are going to get bad, really bad for the average person. And we're going to need to, there's going to have to be some bloodlust. Like we're going to have to hold some people accountable. You know what I mean? So that is not an American ideal, but it is going to happen here in America. It just will. Yeah, Rob, when mm -hmm. you, you mentioned the optionality and, and people coming in, I mean, I totally agree. I mean, freedom, that's got to be a part of the definition is optionality, right? You know, being able to maximize your options and what you can do. And I think that class of people will realize that, you know, there's restrictions on so many of their other assets and things they could do. But when it comes to sats, when it comes to Bitcoin, that it gives them so much more optionality that for that reason alone, they're going to have to convert a lot of their wealth into it because you're going to need optionality in this future that we're all talking about, right? When things are so chaotic, when you can't, you can't rely on something in the future to be a certain way, then your only rational response to that is to enhance your optionality so that you can adapt to whatever circumstance befalls you. And, you know, that's what Bitcoin is. It's a global, you know, accessible, usable form of 
wealth. And, um, and it'll, you know, it behooves us to remember that going through this process, states will be bank actively becoming bankrupt, right? And there's a very good possibility that now that we have this black hole called Bitcoin, that a lot of that, they're not going to be able to print their way through or implicitly default. So I kind of see it as you'll see states around the world that are already on the brink of financial disaster for the most part, start to tighten their grip, right, on these capital pools. And it's just going to, it's just going to squeeze this capital out um, into Bitcoin. So I, it just, too many forces are aligned for there to be a giant inflection point. Um, yeah. So it's just, you got to be it's ready coming. for all eventualities. Yeah. Escape velocity is coming. You know, we might get into a situation like, do you know, um, back in the 19, no, late 1800s, JP Morgan had to loan uh, the American government money. <laughs> I they didn't I remember that, yeah. They didn't have enough money, so they had, they had to get a loan from him. And that was part of why they just that they thought making the Federal Reserve was this great idea because we're like, yeah, no, we don't have to like borrow from him directly. We can like borrow yes. from his crew of other guys. But but I, I do think that uh, we'll see a situation where, you know, like really rich hodlers, you know, guys who have 100,000 plus coins are lending to governments. That'll be a fucking crazy thing to witness. Well, that's, that's been the case all throughout history, right? I mean, you go through the European banking era and monarchies and stuff. I mean, they were always banked and financed by rich families, traders, et cetera. Yep. You know, Nobility. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, well, so where do we get a state that will like, like the thing I'm the most curious about is where do we find a state that's really going to protect Bitcoiners and, and essentially like be like, you want your Citadel to like be in our state, our legal jurisdiction is going to protect you and help you. Like, I'm curious where that's going to happen or if it will happen or if there has to be a lot of bloodletting first. Sounds like Wyoming right now <laughs> but that's that that was Maybe. what i was getting to earlier eric like is there's still a, a power law at play like you can have all this capital in a jurisdiction but if you don't have a means to preserve it then is it can you is it preservable you know so i i time will tell and like you said you can't really predict these things and there's going to be so much chaos and unexpected uh, events happen in the interim that you you know who the fuck knows and all you there's can do no is there's no private property right in the world that's preservable other right. than Bitcoin, right? right? Yeah. And that's what people don't see. We're going to start seeing um, federal uh, property taxes. That's coming, right? Oh, for sure. Well, this is so the, real estate as a store of value is under attack, you know? This is the, the, you know, third reference to the sovereign individual, but this is our medieval era where everything becomes taxes. Like people are taxed on, I mean, as this plays out, I'm sure we'll, we'll be astonished at how many things become taxed and the level they become taxed just because that is the, the last gasps of the state trying to preserve itself. And, you know, it's like we keep saying, which, it's which gets get you back to, to multi-flag theory, right? I mean, yeah. you're basically tax optimizing yourself in advance of the state clampdown because it's going to get a lot it harder. Also, it right? would really fucking suck if uh, you had to live like, stealth wealth when you were secretly worth a hundred plus million dollars you know what I mean? like you you couldn't have your citadel or your moon lambo or whatever you just had to like you know coin join your sats and then hide and pretend like you you drove a camry you were just like everybody else you know i feel that like would blow. Some, i feel well it would but it'd be kind of cool too like just knowing that people think you're basically like a 
homeless person and you've got a hundred mil in the bank. <laughs> there's, there's some like personal satisfaction out of that one. Um, Rob, I meant to ask you this a while back, but uh, you know, you wrote this amazing piece, Masters and Slaves of Money. I've actually sent it to a bunch of people and have had discussions around it. And people are pretty naturally averse to the idea that they are a slave, right? That's not the concept that they've encountered much before. Um, you're extremely articulate, great writer. I imagine you have these conversations with friends, loved ones, family, whatever. Like, what is their response when you, through your writing or directly tell them like, you are actually on the plantation, you're, you're a slave and this is why. Uh, I wanted to, to thank you too, John, for doing that, that reading group. I thought that was really cool. You guys read it and asked questions. I watched that. It was super cool. Um, that was fun. I tell people that I, I hesitated for a long time before I started calling time theft slavery. Because, you know, it, it sounds like it's a very strong term. And it can kind of tenf make you be perceived as a tinfoil hat character yeah. pretty quickly. You're like, oh, everything's a slave system. But I couldn't... Like the longer I looked at it, the more, especially look at it in the arc of history, it's like that's what we have actually been doing repeatedly is we've been enslaving each other. But then as we discovered, say, hydrocarbons that all of a sudden re released all this energy efficiency worldwide, uh, you know, Matt Ridley calls the hydrocarbon the energy slave, basically. So the modern American, I think that the modern American lifestyle has the energy equivalent backing, each individual has the energy equivalent backing of 660 slaves like pedaling a bike year round. It's like how much energy we actually consume. That's only possible because we have hydrocarbons, right? So we have actually been enslaving ourselves over and over, but the systems that we've created have allowed us to rely on other forms of energy and release human capital. But that this impulse to try and prey on the less intelligent or uh, the 80% I mean, it's not even a matter of intelligence necessary. It's, it's, uh, it's a Pareto principle, right? There's 20% kind of leaders, doers in a population and 80% followers. And the 20% the is continuously taking advantage of the 80% roughly um, via manipulating the money. So when I talk to people about it that are close to me, I just say you call it whatever you want. But what I absolutely can fucking tell you is happening is your time is being stolen. And here's the whole laundry list of how that's the case, right? Your, your retirement's being extended, you're working longer hours, you're working shittier jobs, um, and it's only gonna get worse. And I think people tend to resonate with that. Um, so. so so people kind of accept that, you know, when you, when you tell them? Is there, do you have another term for time theft? No one's given me a good alternative. Oh, oh fuck. I, I obviously, I like, uh, I like micro murder. That's another good one, but it might I be stronger than slavery. <laughs> because it, I've never heard that one. <laughs> it literally is a micro murder. Think about it. Yeah. Uh, series right. of micro murders. Let me, let me ask you this. It's related. Um, and Holly, you touched on this, I think several weeks ago, it's something to do with your family, but I, I'm sure we've all experienced it, but the more you go down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, the more you kind of align with Bitcoin, um, you develop, it, as things become more clear, you, you, you become an even greater critic. And I'm sure we all started off as pretty independently minded and therefore strong critics of the status quo and the existing system, or at least many elements of it. Um, but even more so, and especially in 2020 with everything that's going on, like 
it, it's so frustrating the way, like I was out for a run today and I was just dawned on me that like, just think of what's been normalized this year. Just make a list of the different things, like the types of abuses, the types of uh, behaviors, the types of oppression, et cetera, et cetera. That's been normalized this year to the point now that when people see it, when they hear about it, they're just like, oh yeah, that happens now, you know, and, and something that becomes, becomes normalized, you could make a case that it quickly becomes part of culture, you know? So what we normalize is very, very important. We should be, we should be very careful about what we normalize uh, because culture, you know, it's definitely a razor's edge sort of dynamic. It can, you know, as Terrence McKenna used to say, culture is not your friend, but it certainly can make things cohesive and convenient, but it can also, you know, lead you down roads of, you know, not being in, an independent thinker and, and uh, behaviors that may not uh, necessarily benefit you. Um, so it's terrifying to think of what's been normalized this year. And so us seeing that and seeing how egregious that has been, you know, I'm incredibly frustrated a lot of the time and thank fuck that Bitcoin exists because that gives me such a, you know, an opposite charge of like hope and enthusiasm and, and all that jazz and mixing it up with Bitcoiners is definitely therapeutic for me on that front. But has all of this uh, impacted your relationships with close friends, uh, family members that don't see one, how egregious the offenses or how absurd the illusion is and two, you know, kind of not being able to see uh, the solution that Bitcoin represents. Uh, yeah, you know, I'll speak for myself. I mean, the cultural Marxism that has happened has been incredibly dispiriting uh, with friends and family in particular, because Here's the thing is like, I'm, I'm not going to back down. I mean, the things I'm, I believe in are, are true. They need to be defended. I'm not going to go along to get along. If it makes me, like I said before, if it's racist to judge people by the content of their character, I'm a fucking racist. <laughs> All right? And like postmodernism works in this way where you, you can now take the clip of me saying I'm a fucking racist and you can post it all over the internet and be like, see, this guy's a fucking racist, right? And 90% no of content. people will be like, that's all they need to think that way, right? They, they won't and, listen to this whole discussion. Yeah. And I think, so I think like the social media thing has made it worse because we've, um, you, you know, we're now seeing these very narrow views of each other. We're not communicating face to face. I mean, like this conversation has been great, but it's not the same conversation we'd have if we were all in a room together. You know, we'd, we'd have a totally different conversation if we were all in a room together, right? Because there's, I, I, there's no lag. I can read your facial cues in real time, et cetera, et cetera, right? And so um, there are people just straight up I won't, you know, I'm never going to talk to after this year because the way I view it in my head, uh, they are attempting to take freedoms from me and I won't have it. I just fucking won't have it. Um, <clears throat> for my, I think the, the one piece of feedback I get from people close to me is that this has been tried before people like not Bitcoin per se, but people like people have always tried to stand up against the state. People always can talk about the, these things that have to change and be reformed. And, um, some people just have a defeatist attitude about it. It's just like the government just is a necessary evil in the world and we're just going to do what we have to do and play nice. And so when they look at you being a little more 
radical or, or countervailing to that, they get concerned for you in a way. Yeah. Um, but I'm just like, get that shit the fuck out of here. Like <laughs> you, got, you got one life to live. Like you have to make it meaningful and worthwhile. Like, well, well, but I Robert, just, we can't, we can't go to war with England. They're a superpower. That's the yeah, same, same exactly. energy. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's that the 80% vibe, I guess. Maybe, maybe it's just a small portion of us that are like this, but I want to live for something. I want to set my sight as high as I can and live for something meaningful. And I don't know anything more corrupt and pathological than central banking. Yeah. And, and you know, on that point about it's nothing being more meaningful, it's like, and I know someone, one of you guys, I think tweeted this recently, but um, you know, I, I've I always had an appreciation for freedom in that I didn't want to be oppressed, you know, but nobody does. Um, but of course you don't realize all the different ways that you may be oppressed or that you may be even impeding your own freedom. I mean, that we get in our own way a lot. Um, I know this is a stupid, silly anecdote, but we've all seen Braveheart, right? And he screams freedom when he's being like gutted on the thing. And that was always like a powerful moment in the movie. And you're like, Oh my God, you know, you get goosebumps and stuff. But as I kind of go through life, I, I appreciate just how important, meaningful, et cetera, et cetera, freedom is like, it's, it's the whole game. Like that's on so many levels. And I'm still unpacking that and still uh, just probably beginning to understand that. But um, yeah, that, that's like, lost, lost dude, my think about, thought. <laughs> when you think about the American revolution, uh, George Washington was a rich aristocrat. He was one of the most powerful people, uh, you know, in America as controlled by the British Empire. He didn't have to rock the boat, but his principles just did not allow him That's to fucking... let some motherfuckers across the sea fuck with his shit, you know? And <laughs> you gotta love that, thing. man. And, you gotta love that. And also, it's like, dude, becoming sovereign and, like, you know, striving upwards is a fucking powerful feeling. You know, in a lot of ways, like sovereignty emanates out from you. Like the mm-hmm. citadel grows around you as you become more. So you like you send that first trans transaction over the network, right? You and you're just like, oh my god, nobody was between. This. Nobody gave me permission to do this transaction. And you just the more you do, the more sovereign you become, right? And it's just this race upwards. Whereas everybody else, like the identity politics stuff and the cultural Marxism and all that shit, it's just it's a race to occupy the victim position which is a categorical race to the bottom. I mean, you're fucking up your whole life. And a complete abdication of your own sovereignty because you're saying you are in control of of these things that that I want, right? You're in control of my freedom. You've you've And maybe people will be, yeah, people will be equally miserable with you, but who wants that? I'd rather be happy by myself, you know? (laughs) Eric, what about you? Uh... I mean, like, I've been an anarchist for, what, like, almost a decade now. Uh, and so, like, I, I had a lot of the separations of opinions with people kind of around that time. And then Bitcoin really accelerated it in a pretty extreme way. Um, like, I, I have one close friend who I can think of. Like, I, I tried to get him on the boat so many times and he wouldn't get on. And, like, it's, it's embarrassing at this point for, like, both of us. And, like, there's kind of this sheepishness of not addressing it directly. And there's this distance between us as well. And, and for me, like I get, uh, you know, like I, I do sincerely believe like we're on this path to radically changing the world and through conversations with folks like yourself, like, you know, I feel that grow inside of me and like, 
you know, it wasn't like George Washington, you know, laterally decided for himself that like freedom and liberty were these great principles. Like, no, he like got together with all these other brilliant men that were like part of these nascent new formed governments that were like dealing with like these pretty experimental procedures compared to what had been done, you know, in the centuries before. And they were like, this shit is really working. Like we could, we could actually like run a whole country using these new formulas. And through all those conversations, there was this bloom that had them be like, yeah, like we don't need to take shit from England. Like we don't need to send our fucking tea back to them just for them to put a stamp on it to ship them back to us. Like the system's so fucked up and antiquated and not working anymore. Like why should we deal with it? And, you know, as they cultivated that on each other, they eventually came to the place where like, this is worth fucking dying for. Yeah. That's, yeah. Well, that's what we're, I, that's what we're dancing around, right? I think, John, one thing I want to add is, like, to your point, freedom is the whole fucking game, right? At every level. Like, that's what every organism is competing to do and have. Um, it's very base in us. And as we said earlier, like, freedom is just optionality, right? money is an instrument of pure optionality and i think that's why people keep fucking fighting over it throughout all of history that that conflict has defined so much of history people trying to maximize their own freedom up to and including uh confiscating freedom from others right that's the whole master and slave dynamic and that's why like bitcoin is just it's such a that's the fundamental change about it is that we for the first time in history have a tool of pure optionality that cannot be co-opted, right? And that that's that's the the thing. I think that's the light people don't see a lot. Um, and it, it's it's there's a moral line there too, right? Because like, yeah, sure, we want to maximize our own freedom, but we're we have to draw a line at some point. It's like you can't and you don't want to steal from others. You don't want to lie. You don't want to you know engage in violence. Um, so it's just that's just an interesting perspective well, on that for me. Yeah. All right. Some of the, oh, I was going to say some of the work that I've done around looking at sovereignty is I, I, I really I wouldn't say I enjoy, but I think uh, Thomas Hobbes and you know his writings on Leviathan and Deacivica were some of the most powerful ones with kind of establishing political the political theory first. And in it, like he kind of flippantly surmises the sovereign's power uh, as being authority, not truth creates legitimacy. And I think now we're finally having that swing back where we're saying no, truth, not authority creates legitimacy. And like that in it alone, like that is overturning the entire global order of things from the institutions of money, power, whatever it may be. And that's what we're about to kind of witness is this gigantic shifting to where truth finally becomes its own form of legitimacy as opposed to the authority. And then we're witnessing that breakdown right now with what's occurring across the globe. I, I, I think too, like a, a lot of the reason why the, the Bitcoin rabbit hole is, is so profound is because our slavery is so insipid. There are no shackles. When you're in the fields, you know, working and being whipped, it's pretty obvious what's happening to you. But what's happened to us is that they figured out that if they can control our environments, they can control us. They can't tell us how to think, but they can tell us what to think about. And that has been happening to us our entire lives. I mean, I don't know why I'm a grown man who's spent so much time arguing about what other people do with their dicks. Why have I, why? I don't give two shits. 
cut off your dick, stick it in a man, stick it in a woman. I don't fucking care. Just keep it to yourself. You know what I mean? Like, why are we always arguing about this fucking bullshit, you know? Because they're trying to control you. Fucking annoying. (laughs) But, you know, know, that's another example about how uh, insipid it is and how obvious it will be. I mean, you say that we see slavery as being so obvious, you know, and the slaves at the time because they were owned by someone. They were shackled. They were getting whipped. But I mean, look at our time now. People are killing themselves. People have horrible, you know, mental health conditions. There's so much depression. There's so much, you know, fill in the blank. There's all this stuff. You know, just back to that point of this going to this is going to be so obvious in hindsight how uh, how depressive or how disgusting this this whole thing was. And people will fucking deride our our generation. And say you fuckers couldn't see. I mean, the writing was literally on every single wall that you could possibly turn. You know, how, how could, and of course, I guess we are seeing it. And hopefully they listen to this recording in fucking 50 <laughs> to 100 years time. Um, but guys, I want to, you know, Eric, what you were just saying, I want to finish with this because uh, no, no cosmic discussion. I, mean, I guess this is the uh, apex of a cosmic discussion. Um, but those other revolutionary moments and transitions in history are super fascinating. I really haven't studied them as much as I, I would like to. Um, but, you know, you talk about uh, the founding fathers and this revolutionary attitude. And they're like, you know, first you're complaining. You're like, man, these fucking Brits, they're making us do all this bullshit and we're paying taxes and whatever. And then, you know, you, more people come into it and this, the discussion furthers. And you're like, man, why are, we, why are we putting up with this shit? Like, do, do we need to? And then the discussion furthers and people go like, could we do something about it? And then the is like, yeah, we, we probably could. Like, okay, what should we do about it? Discussion, you know, and this is how the process goes. And, and, but um you know a lot of people would have been saying like we we can't possibly right you know you know what this means guys if we decide to do something about this this means like we might die like it's probable that we'll lose here i mean we can't go up against the world's greatest superpower and eric you know when you said it it kind of struck me as like no like we're willing you know this level of freedom to establish that we're willing to die for that um and i don't mean to be you know unnecessarily heavy but you know this subject has come up, you know, in discussions before around Bitcoin, you know, I've heard people say, no, of course I wouldn't die for my stack. You know, if you're going to put a gun to my head and say, you know, give me your private keys, like I'll probably give them up. But if you, in a hypothetical, if you said like, would I die for the cause to see it succeed? That's a bit of, you know, I'd have to think about that one a bit more, or maybe I wouldn't. And the answer would just be, you know, an immediate yes. And so, um, you know, I don't know if I want to ask you guys if you die for the cause, but uh yes are, is is that is is what <laughs> is what bitcoin can deliver is that level of freedom that we think it it represents and that we'll be able to achieve through it is that worth uh the ultimate sacrifice yes yeah like you know no 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 qualms about it and like i don't think there's ever going to be a hypothetical like that uh and it would suck because like what like no like it's in a multi-stick like i can't i can't fucking help you please don't shoot me you know nobody gets it then um, I, know, I know i know the hypothetical will never happen but just like the founding fathers right they had to conceptually determine what their answer to that question is or would be before they set out on their path you know it's like eric said you're gonna die one day you're dying right now like stop fucking around stop pretending like you're not gonna die live oh your life God. for something that's worth dying for you know the cool thing is, is like if the state shows up and like that's 
part of what it is and like i'm not saying this is my truth but i hope it is is that like i really hope at that moment that i encounter death i'm gonna be like fuck yeah like i'm dying for something glorious and amazing and like my great grandson's gonna like i was i was reading about my grandfather today like he was a world war ii fighter pilot and i didn't really dug into it i'm like holy shit he was a fucking badass like he put himself in enemy fire he dealt with japanese bonsai attacks he like fought with people fucking hand to hand and like at any of those moments he could have died and he would be like my grandson will look back at me and think about what a fucking badass i am and he didn't even fucking die like you know he lived and had a great <laughs> life and like i still look back and like he's a badass and so like i hope if i encounter these moments like yeah, maybe the state throws me in a prison cell for a while, but then like my comrades liberate me 15 years later. I'm mean, like, who What's the like, fuck dude? would have ever foresaw that uh, Nelson Mandela would like get out of his fucking prison cell and like become the leader of a free South Africa? Like, that seemed fucking random. Not to defend. Aren't you, aren't you like just so willing to like be hated and, and walk through the muck and the mire for the next like 30 years? as long as, you know, 30, 40 years time from now, you get to sit around the campfire and your grandchildren are like, oh, Grandpa Hobble, like, what was it like? Like, what did, what did Breedlove smell like? I'm like, he smelled like rich mahogany children. <laughs> he was a beautiful man and he wrote poetry. And I knew him, I considered him a friend. <laughs> the heart swoons with the light oh, just bringing him up oh. now. <laughs> Fucking Totally derailed my train of thought. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, uh, I, I just say that I would die for whatever I consider to be meaningful, right? Same thing you want to live for. And yeah, as long as you're going out for a cause and a, the proper blaze of glory, then yeah, I would die for the cause. I'm uh, the devil's in the details, right? It's like, were you just in some yeah. little back room and someone said, take a sleeping pill and all of a sudden there's going to be hyper-Bitcoinization, like all those weird nuances. But yeah, I want to die like I live. Like I fucking live for a cause. I want to die for a cause. So 100%. I mean, I guess a, a variation of the question was like, take Snowden, right? Uh, you know, 99% of the people that were in his position that like saw all the bullshit. And I'm sure there's, there was many people like Snowden. They were like, no, I'm not going to fucking poke my head up and disrupt my life and you know all this even though i know what i'm doing is wrong or what i'm engaging in is wrong like fuck that i mean most people are fucking cowards and i don't totally yeah. like i can empathize with that cowardice to a certain degree um but you know there's some people like snowden that made that decision like no because this is right Show, telling the world what's going on is is right and and if it's worth disrupting my life then i guess i'm gonna do it dude it's like fucking brad pitt and troy man it's like that man's the biggest man I've ever seen. I wouldn't want to fight him. That's why no one will remember your name. You know? I saw oh, that meme good. recently. That meme is so good. The it Michael Saylor so version. <laughs> I love it. Like, I love like it. who wants a fucking chicken shit NPC life anyway? It's like, yeah. that's fucking lame. You know, like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I've I relate like a- it. I relate it to those stories like in Gladiator or I think in Troy maybe, but you know, like it's the farmer who just wants like a nice life with their family in, you know, eat good food, have close friends around the simple life, but they get drawn into this like heroic conflict or journey. Like, yeah. you know, not even because they want to, but because they are the person that needs to be drawn into it or, or some shit like that. Yeah. And like, that's the whole, like, look, like I'm, I'm pretty sure like if we could just like rip man winkle this shit and like wake up in Bitcoin world in 50 years, like 
it would be fucking rad but like we're not us anymore like all of these like fucked up things we've been worried about that have like become our obsessions like i hope and would believe that they're pretty well resolved and so like now now you get to like work on your art or your poetry or like living in all the like there's this infinite possibility of like this life that's like so good and badass but like we can't even have an inkling of it because we've just had a fucking boot stomping on a human face for the last century so like to just have that stop for a little while is a pretty radical idea but like i saw like on acid i'll specifically like have these deep fantasies about like this insane fucking future where like everything's super chaotic but like it's fluid and beautiful and like there's just like this insane music and cuisine and experiences and people and like life is just so fucking rich and saturated with detail of true life you know like you can't even describe it because it's so beyond as opposed to the the fucking most people can surmise to you what they've been doing for the last six months you know i've been sitting in my house fucking doom scrolling waiting for it to conclude <laughs> oh man thing about, well said the other thing about that for me um is i think speaking truth to power is you're actually embodying that christ archetype and consider it religious or secular just the the that's the ultimate hero myth, right? If you want to consider it that way. It's like to embody that really gives your life a lot of meaning and really gives you a lot of something that's beyond you, right? Like you, you pour that energy into your work and then you don't even recognize who did the work sometimes. Um, so there's something just powerful to that, I think. And we're, we're, speech, is, speech is dangerous right now too, you know? Yeah. The, the idea of us actually having a meat space death is kind of like probably not going to happen. Like we're probably not going to catch a bullet or, you know, catch a musket ball. Um, <laughs> but you can have a digital death. Like that's what being canceled is. And that will happen to you. And when, or it can happen to you. And if it happens to you, uh, the people around you will turn on you. And it's pretty crazy to watch. It's happened to me a few times now. It's kind of fun. Um, but <laughs> the first time it happens, it's not fun. Do people in your life know your alias on Twitter? Uh, uh, some of them. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, which is bad, which is bad. Cause I just let my private thoughts fly. And then sometimes you get a text and it's like, uh, you know, why did you say this about this member of our family? And I'm like, ah, cause I'm a, cause I'm a fucking asshole. And I kind of feel <laughs> that way. I'm sorry. Like I didn't mean to say it. Yeah. Um, well, guys, this has been an awesome conversation. I appreciate the, the time. Any last thoughts before we, we shut this thing down? It's been great, guys. Had a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I appreciate it. Opened up my mind for, for a great weekend. And yeah, just great to, to talk with all you guys. I'm, I'm, it always feels great to, to feel the solidarity with people who you haven't met in meat space, you know? Yeah. Totally. Absolutely. Well, hopefully someday we will have this, extend this conversation in meat space around a, a, yeah. a table at a bar or a campfire or some shit and just go for hours and hours and a little, yeah. I want like a deep Bitcoin camp out where we like take over, uh, like I, I live near a place that has like a bunch of hot springs and I want to like take over one of these hot springs and have like a hundred hardcore Bitcoiners show up for like a three day weekend. There's some talk of a Bitcoin camp out that I think is happening on the Texarkana border. 
So we'll hit, hit, hit me up. I'll, I'll let you know if that's going on. Cool. Right on. All right, gents. Well, I'll leave it there. I know you got lives to get back to. So uh, thanks for the time and we'll talk again soon. Thanks for organizing, John. It was great. See you guys. Thank you, sir. Stack Sats. Oh, 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 oh,